Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome back. We got another fantastic episode of The Strange Road. I'm your host, Mikey, and of course, as always, right in shotgun, the bro host. Bob. Hello. Bob, what's going on? Not much. Feeling good? I'm trying to keep it under wraps that not much is going on, but there's a lot going on. <laughs> it's already perfect. As always. That's all I'll say. Yeah, we're super excited. And as thank you so much. We got Stoner the Loner and Master Control. Check him out. There he is. Wave, wave hello, Stoner, to everybody. There he is. What a guy. He was a loner boy. Still, he's a stoner boy. <laughs> Disbro is uh, sitting in master control. <laughs> Disbro had something going on, so you know whatever he's up to. Hopefully, he's having a good time. Uh, Disbro, stoner's, stoner's holding it down. Holding it down. Uh, as always, you guys can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter at the Strange Road. We got the Facebook group, Strange Road Hitchhikers. We got some big things coming up. We're gonna hold off on. Uh, you guys can see in the future, hopefully, our merch portal will be Yeah, we're launched. speaking to you from the future uh, right now. We, we're wearing a couple of the proofs that we had ordered to kind of yeah. see what the material is, how the print is. And uh, so good. we got a little bit of homework after the first round of, of kind of seeing what everything, all the different shirts and how they feel. Yeah. And uh, But that is coming. But this will be released in the future. So by then, it'll be launched. Yeah. So uh, big things cooking. Uh, you guys can find us Spotify, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else. Um, give us a five star rating if you guys like the show. Share yeah. it. Um, the audio versions are always cracking. We're growing all the time. It's uh, people are giving us amazing reviews. Comments are stars. firing off in YouTube. People are talking. <clears throat> yep, and uh, it brings up YouTube. If you guys are uh, like the show, share it, like, subscribe. Yeah, uh, hit that <clears throat> notification bell. That's important. We do a lot of live streaming. And then you'll get that notification an hour before we go live when we do strange happenings or special episodes like Cryptids of the Corn a few weeks back. Yeah. So stay in contact with us that way. Um, and these live streams and premieres are always ad-free. Um, yep. We try to keep those ad-free, uh, keep all that stuff off there for you guys. However, the super stickers and super chats are active and live. And so if you guys want to support the show, it's a great way. We appreciate all your support. Really and, does help. Uh, yeah. You guys are killing it as always. Um, it's much, much appreciated. Uh, without further ado, I think we should just really jump right in because I have a feeling this is going to be pretty in depth on topics that I really didn't think we would get into. But our, our pre conversation with our guest Ooh. stirred the pot, bro. So super, super pumped for this. I didn't know what to expect because. I just never know what to expect most of the time. No, Rolo, not right now, buddy. Um, Rolo, lay down. Come on, buddy. So I don't. We got the strange dog Rolo here today Rolo's too. Represent today. The, uh, he hasn't studio, been on. So. He hasn't been on the show in a while. He's such a good dog. My dog would be barking at everything right now. Um, but yeah, we got into some pre-conversation where I was like, man, oh man, like it's gonna be awesome. I'm always excited for the conversation because that's the whole beauty of a conversation. Even if you don't know the, I'm always excited to talk to anyone. Yeah, and not to say that. I mean, that's the whole thing, too, though. If you dig enough, man, everybody really does. They just don't know if they have their own special side. Like, yeah. even our guests, they might not think that it's anything different. It might be his day-to-day -day normal life. Yeah. But to us, it's special. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And without further ado, let's Absolutely. introduce our guest for today. Our guest today is Daryl Nichols. Daryl is a noted humanitarian speaker, spokesman, and has a passion for diversity. He's a native of Kansas, has a bachelor's degree in business, former army captain, ordained minister, and bishop, 
Daryl is a certified facilitator for the Ohio Violence Prevention Program. He's also spent years in the world of corporate America. Uh, Daryl, welcome to the show. How are you, man? I am doing Fantastic. Yes. I call I'm funky fresh. You know? <laughs> awesome, man. Well, before we went live, you went through, I mean, you really gave us uh, a dissertation on uh, different mushrooms and things and tinctures yes. and, and, and all the things you do for health. And, and we're going to get into that. But um, yeah, it's just, uh, you're a fascinating guy. I want to kind of lay the foundation. I met Daryl at the Spring Equinox. Uh, Serpent Mound event with right. that Tom and Terry throw every spring out at uh, Woodland Altars. And Terry basically grabbed me and pulled me right up to Daryl and and introduced me. Yeah. And uh, we talked about, hey, you know, we have this podcast. We'd love to have you on the show sometime. And we met some other people there as well uh, who have since come on the show and are right. coming on the show. So um, that's how we met Daryl. We had a great, quick conversation, but kept in contact. Uh, Daryl, tell us a little bit about your background. Um, you know, lay the foundation for us and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, thank you. And again, I just want to acknowledge you and just thank you for having me on your show and expose me to your audience. It's an honor. Well, as we say back in Kansas, you know, it's a plum, pleasing pleasure and a privilege. <laughs> much love, much love, man. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Um, I'm super happy we got to line this up. Uh, but yeah, we're, I think you have a very fascinating story. I mean, you've literally lived like five lives. Is that safe <laughs> to say? <laughs> we might have triple that. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Uh, uh, but you know, I've been exposed to a lot. I've had a lot of really great opportunities um, that now in retrospect, you know, uh, they, they're really unique and not everybody really has had those opportunities. So I, I had to converse in a number of areas. But as I guess as I kind of start with, uh, I was born and raised in Kansas, Leavenworth, Kansas at that. And yeah, there's a prison there, but there is a town too. Right. <laughs> it's where my family's from and we're not associated with the prisons. Right. Um, and this is just that's like 30 miles away from the University of Lawrence, uh, KU. Yep. Okay. You know, where they the Wizard of Oz. Rock Chalk um, Jayhawks. There you go. There we go. There you go. And I, I want to say that Dorothy and Toto are doing fine. She grew up to be a <laughs> mighty fine lady. Donnie M still makes a great oatmeal cookie, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I grew up there. Um, I was arrested through school. Um, probably most notable my senior year, I was captain of the wrestling team and I was undefeated all year. I went 28 and 0. Gee, I was seated number one in the state, my weight class. And uh, my only loss that year was in the quarterfinal. I got beat by a guy that I beat twice that year. So I ended up, I could take was third place then because I had to fight my way back to the bracket, but I couldn't make it to the finals. So both the guys that won first and second, I beat both of them. Yeah. Mm. So there's that. But then I went to uh, college initially on a wrestling scholarship at <laughs> at, at uh, Northwest Missouri State University, and then I, but I had an injury in my knee and I had to have an operation, so that pretty much ruined my wrestling career. But what I had done, thanks to my older brother, year older than me, I was in ROTC in high school. Leavenworth, I think, was the first school to have an ROTC program as a voluntary then. But so we enrolled, and uh, the colonel who was in charge of that program really, you know, he looked out for my family. And so he told us about this brand new program that had started that, you know, if you commit to enlisting in the army, 
after graduation, then it would help pay for, you know, you get an army fee, waiver scholarships and so much toward books and things. And then in your, uh, your third and fourth year of college, you actually could join an Army Reserve unit or a National Guard unit as an ROTC cadet. And so I'm looking at just another way to make money. So I was doing the monthly drills and stuff too. So then when I graduated, actually, I had enough time as a, uh, I got commissioned as an officer uh, two years before I graduated high school. So I mm. was, and this was a brand new program. So I was probably one of the youngest officers in the Army under this new program. I, I mean, say. I legit- yeah, went from an ROTC to a second lieutenant. Wow! So when I graduated uh, the month I graduated. I had enough time in grade that I actually got promoted from a second lieutenant to a first lieutenant the month before. Uh, well, the summer I graduated, but now I had to go to officer basic training. So I'm a first lieutenant, you know. And I was actually, as it turns out, there was 53 other officers in my class that went to Aberdeen, Maryland. And I was the senior officer in my class. <laughs> and so I'm the class leader. And my career in the military kind of tracked that way. Uh, my first duty assignment was in Germany. Um, six months of training at, at in Aberdeen, Maryland, as a, I was a supply logistics officer. Um, and when I got to Europe, uh, my company commander was expecting a brand new butterball lieutenant. Well, it turns out when I got there, he had authorization for five lieutenants. Well, when I got there, I'm the senior lieutenant again. So I became the company executive officer. We're not an idea what I'm doing. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I figured it out, you know, in a situation like that. Somebody told me, here's what you got to do, lieutenant. You only got to do two things. You got to learn quick and in a hurry. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's the difference? Yeah. That's hilarious. Uh, but you know what, man? That's how you really level up as a human being is like getting thrown to the wolves. Sink or swim. Me. Yeah. Like, just... My video production career it, it was definitely, you know, not to compare it to the Army, but, it, I mean, you learn so much so fast when you're just thrown out there. Uh, here's a camera. Go, you know, go shoot. Or, you know, we got to edit this video. And it, it's yeah. um, outside totally. just had some great partners, you know, and we accomplished mm-hmm. things in the company. We, we had an annual clay, what they call it a clay inspection, command logistics inspection. And every logistics company has it every year. And I just decided, well, if we study the manuals and we know what they're going to be inspecting for, I don't see why we can't get a commendable rating out of all the areas that they inspect. And I remember the, this old crusty warrant officer uh, <laughs> that didn't really like me, but he just started laughing. And he said, you must be smoking dope. There's no way in hell any company is going to make 40 commendable ratings. And he just laughed it off. And so I said, you know, I kind of dismissed it. So, okay, I appreciate it, Chief. But I still did. I had a game plan. I said, here's here's the guidelines. Here's what the Inspector General is looking for. And we're just going to audit to the specifications. And we had uh, seven weeks to do it. <clears throat> and we did something that no other command logistics company had ever done. We received, and it was 30, 30 areas that they rated. We received a commendable rating out of 20, 27 out of 30 areas. And it was wow. the first time in, in the Army ever that any company actually achieved that. Had Damn. the general come, he's passing out gold coins to my soldiers. But it got me a little bit of notoriety. So in short order, I, I was promoted. Um, well, I still as a first lieutenant, I was asked to take a position as the battalion uh, S23 officer, which is in charge of security operations, plans, and training, and intelligence. So I ended up serving in 
in a battalion in Germany, went to a, just outside Frankfurt in Hanau. And I was the, they called it the spot, because nothing happens without the S23. I managed all of the training, training readiness, operations. I was a classified documents custodian. So I had a, I had to make sure shoulders were trained to execute our war finding mission. So, and then uh, I had an opportunity to become a company commander when I came back stateside. And I served as a company commander in uh, Fort Riley, Kansas. And one of the peaks of that was uh, my unit was picked by the Department of the Army to deploy to Honduras. And this was at a time when we had conflict with the Condonistas and the Sandinistas in the country. But we did an outstanding job there. And we actually established brand new military doctrine in terms of ordering supply and repair ports. It used to be it would take anywhere from, you know, from two to four weeks to get repair parts or supplies into the country. I mean, literally, we, we flew in, we landed in Panama convoy down through Tegucigalpa, um, Nicaragua, and then ended up setting up in the desert in, um, in the middle of Honduras. And, but I was supporting an engineering task force. And my job was to fix anything they broke. I had 263 soldiers assigned to my company, wow. including perimeter guards. Uh, but we did it. You know, my soldiers did it. And then the other big thing was is how do we shorten the repair the, the 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 cycle the resupply cycle? So we did an experiment with this van we had where we used to have to key punch and generate requisitions and pass them from computer to computer. Well, we set up the new up new procedure where we actually would generate the signal and we would shoot our requisitions digitally uh, in uh, across a series of relays in the ground and then we would bounce it up to a satellite um, somewhere in in Honduras and it would land. In Fort Knox, Kentucky, it hit another relay. It bounced back up, went to Fort Riley, Kansas, mm. and shortened the re- the supply cycle to just like five to seven days. Wow, incredible! So That's amazing. We received a lot of recognition for that, and then I went on to become a battalion S two three again. But and then I decided I got out after nine years, but I had a great career. Uh, that deployment hurt me and a lot of soldiers. Uh, the divorce rates were terrible when we mm. came back. Uh, not just my unit, but a lot of units. And uh, I decided I was going to work on my family first rather than the Army. And it just didn't work out. But I still had that behind me. And I don't regret that decision. Both my brothers actually went on, <laughs> but came in behind me. And they retired lieutenant colonels. Uh, my older brother, actually, he was in the Pentagon when it got hit. He spent his last Whoa. 14 years actually at the Pentagon. Whoa. And he lost his friends that day. So uh, there was that. And then... Uh, subsequent to that, I got out of the army and I was just kind of floating around and I decided, uh, to move to the Midwest, the Michigan, Ohio area, because tank automotive command, which I'm familiar with and the logistics. Um, but I was just doing my thing, going to work and going home, a couple of parties here and there, uh, working in my church group as well when there was a KKK rally and that changed my life. Wow. Uh, yeah. There was a series of them. The first one was in Bryan, Ohio, which was like 40 miles away. And I was like, I couldn't believe that. And so I went to talk to everybody that passed my church and said, we're going to go. We're going to go. He said, it's the KKK rally. Can you? And nobody <laughs> in my community would go except my pastor, the fool that he was. But my mother, I told her about it. And she said, son, don't go because uh, she's way in Kansas and said, you don't know who you're messing with. You know, you might find your son's head in my front yard. You don't know who you're talking. God so I wouldn't go. But the next year, the KKK came to my town. They're, they they had a, a right to protest right there on the courthouse steps in Defiance, Ohio, right there. 
And uh, the city's response was, I mean, I got involved, I got excited, I tried to stop it. I even wrote letters to the Grand Wizard of the KKK asking, hey, can we talk? I'm just a nobody in the community, but wow. the year before that had got me interested enough that I wanted to get involved. And so I joined my the local chapter of the NAACP. And then shortly thereafter, I was uh, um, voted to the uh, vice president for the Northwest Ohio NAACP. Jesus. And my goal was... Liz, I just wanted to get into the schools to talk to the young people and the kids before the Klan recruited them, mm. you know, and that's all I did, you know, and I would go every Wednesday, I would go to a school or elementary or high school, and I would just have lunch with them, talk with the faculty, you know, because, uh, and that's just what I did. And then this rally started, and I, I was working with the mayor, the police chief, the uh, college president, president of the banks, you know, and everybody came together and, and, and assured the support to say, look, I don't know what that's all about. We don't want anything to do with it. Um, but the day that when they came to defiance, I don't know how many there were, but they had divided the city up. They put up chain link fence to separate the people for the Klan, wow. the media and the people opposed to the Klan. And then riot uh, policemen in riot gear in between us and between the Klan on the courthouse steps, snipers on the building, Whoa. 300 enforcement to protect them, to make sure that no violence happened. You know, and the most ironic thing about that whole day was uh, I remember as I was driving to go down there. I mean, I wrote a will and everything. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I bought some weapons for my wife. So I said, just in case something happens, because we had just had our son, and they said, well, just in case somebody's trying to get at me, mm -hmm. they come to the house, you got to protect yourself. I, I'm a nonviolent advocate, mm -hmm. and I prayed to God that I would never fire a weapon since I left the Army, and I haven't. Uh, and I'm glad that day I didn't. I didn't have to, and she didn't. Mm -hmm. But as I park in my car, you know, the people for the Klan are supposed to go on one gate and opposed to the Klan on the other side of town in the other gate. But I'm parking, and I'm just really in a daze. And so I just I just was walking, just following the crowd of people. And so I'm just standing in line waiting for them to, you know, got to go through a metal detector and somebody to check your ID to make sure you don't have warrants and weapons and things. And there's about three people now in front of me. I've been marching in line for like 20 minutes, just taking step by step by step. And I looked around and I saw, you know, I looked at this guy. He says, you combat boots and combat fatigues. Look at all those tattoos. And this guy, he's bald headed with all the tats. And they, and so I was, there was two police officers standing next to the, the monitor gate. So I stepped out of line and said, excuse me, officer. They said, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We figured there was a problem. Look, uh, you're in the wrong line. Wow. And I turned around and I I'm standing here with skinheads and oh my Nazis. Daryl. They said, I've been standing here and I'm thinking, you know, I've been here for 20 minutes. And y'all hate me and people like me so much, but I'm right here. Yeah. And nobody you and you can't even say a word. And I said, Well, that's how much that's what courage is. That's what courage is. All right. And I walked in and I got in the other one. Um, and at this point, I was president for the Northwest Northwest Ohio NWCP. So I had set it up. The people worked with me in the community and the police chief and the sheriff. And we had an offsite event at Defiance College. We had a prayer breakfast that morning. I attended with other clergymen and officials and people from the city. And then that day we had Unity Day on the campus. The national NWCP told me uh, their guideline was don't go. They said have a prayer vigil or something offsite, but don't go. My logic was, well, the KKK and other hate groups are growing at 10 to 12 percent a year. So I don't think that's an effective strategy. But I told my executive committee and everybody else, you go off site. And I went to the rally. 
And I didn't say a word. I'm listening to this filth that these people in front of me are saying in hoods, white hoods and that the whole garb, everything. Ooh. I'm looking at snipers on the building. I'm looking at the people who were for the Klan and the filth that they were saying and the media in the center just taking pictures of both sides. And then I'm here and I'm looking at all these young people who were so angry about what they were hearing. They they were just as filthy as the people on the other side. Mm. And it reminded me of what Malcolm X had said once, the hate that hate created. And yes. I remember I just stood there, tears running down my face, you know. Uh, but I never said a word. I promised my mother I wouldn't say a word, and I didn't. But that gave me the strength and energy. That's where I, I became a certified facilitator. I said, I, I want to get involved with, okay, how do we how do we stop this level of ignorance? You know, how do I promote people out of that type of ignorance? Right. And so that's what the goal has been as a violence prevention practitioner. And uh, I thank the KKK. Matter of fact, uh, I I, I was interviewed later um, because now as president, I I had what I'd done. So what can I do created with this? And so I asked the community, my members, I created a project. I called Operation Lemonade. And so it says, if you're willing to donate a penny a minute, a dollar a minute, a dime a minute for every minute that the KKK is speaking, then I'll use that money for our scholarship fund. And I'll send a kid to college. Brilliant. Basically. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> we ended up raising, I think it was 7000 something dollars. And so afterwards, uh, I was interviewed and I said, yeah. I said, well, how do you feel about that? I said, well, I just want to thank Reverend Jeff Jeffries for helping the NWCP send a black kid, a Hispanic kid, and a, and a Caucasian kid. <laughs> You know, give them a lot of scholarship money. Yeah, through their hate. Through their dude, I love wait, that. Through that their hate, amazing. though, like through their dislike, right? Is what you're yes. saying, right? Yeah, they perfect. Yes. Send the a child of. to college, perfect. Yeah, because <laughs> that's such a good way of taking an energy that did something and else, and Jeff turning too. it into something so worthwhile and going, hey, look, all your effort, I've I've made it into my effort this way. So what you think it's doing, it's actually doing this on the other end. So like, right. I That's love really that. My gosh. Daryl, question. You Reverend Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeff Barry about it. They interviewed him. And when he had read, he said, when he had read that, he said, that was a hard pill to swallow. That fact he's sending black kids to college. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like the whole karmic wheel, though. Like yeah, for all yeah, this other evil sure. stuff, there's got to be some kind of a universal balance on the other side. So the scales, are, you know, they got a tip in, in, the, in the other way. So, you know, your actions actually created something really positive, but that's just a beautiful it, example of the universe. So the, the summary of that was, you know, that was a pinnacle for, that kind of gave me a, <laughs> a mission and a purpose. And I'm, I'm still, you know, I do uh, a lot of free conferences, workshops and facilitating in that regard. Uh, I love yeah. that work and a lot to be done. You know, obviously you look at the conditions in the world right now, you know, there's not much distinction between how uh, African-Americans are treated or look at what's going on with the Native Americans still on mm-hmm. reservation or, you know, all of the isms, whether it's racism, sexism, adultism, you know, all those isms uh, have to be addressed. Um, and particularly right now, you know, look at the war in the Ukraine, you know, but a Ukrainian's mother's tears is just as salty as the Soviet uh, Russian mother's tears. Mm-hmm. You know, it's called ism. I mean, we got to get past the rhetoric and all of the things that fight to divide us in terms of the way I see it. But that compelled me to do uh, several things. After my term as uh, with the NWCP as the president there, I, I moved here to Toledo, Ohio, where I, I remain now. And uh, back to work. I'm back in corporate America uh, 
work for a large company. So uh, there's uh, 7,000, about 7,000 people in my facility. Nothing I can say. I work, I work at the home of Jeep. Every Jeep Wrangler that you see comes out of this facility right here. Yep. You know, Very cool. Every, yeah. And every basically every minute there's a brand new Jeep rolling off the assembly line. I yep. love it. I got, yeah. And my I brother-in-law the, the, and sister, uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law lived right on Jeep Willie's Parkway. On on that side go. of town for years. My wife is originally from the Toledo area, Oregon, um, but uh, my brother-in-law grew up in Toledo, and they live right off Jeep Willys. There you go. That's awesome. So to wrap up, because I don't want to make this all about me and my history, but yeah, during that time, I became, uh, I just involved with my church, and then I became uh, uh, co-pastor of the church I was with, and then a few years later, I uh, became pastor of that church. And then I started my own church called Victory International Praise Ministry, a non non-denominational church. And then shortly after that, I was elevated to position of a jurisdictional bishop. And at one time I had 11 churches under my jurisdiction I was responsible for. Hmm. So I did that. And then about 10 years ago, just things really began to shift. And I didn't even tell you about the UFO experience I had when I was 16. But all that started to come back around. Oh, yeah. Saw UFO 16, Lavmore, Kansas. Okay. This thing was like all the way around. I swear. Hey, the, the third time it came around the house, I had to go. I went inside. I was up in the tree looking at it. You know, about every 20 minutes, this thing is. So the third time I go in and get my mother, my father, my older brother, my sister. And they just come outside. They're going to humor me. You know, and I'm looking up and I said, there it is. And then my dad said, boy, that ain't no UFO. That's a plane. I said, no, not that one, that one. And this time it changed its whole pattern. It, it's miles away in the sky, mm -hmm. way up there. But you can see it moving. But this time it dropped. It got north of us and it dropped in elevation and it flew maybe, maybe 300 feet over our heads and maybe five miles an hour. Whoa. My mother was so nervous she ran into the house to get an instamatic camera. She's she, she's so nervous she couldn't get the flash. <laughs> you know, and we just watch it. Wow. My father called the police. They came out and did a police report and they had me do, do a drawing, front Whoa. page paper that day, uh, the following day, UFOs over Leavenworth, Kansas. You were 16 and this happened. What did it feel like? Because you just set it up that you said they were just going to come out and humor me. So you know that they weren't believing you. But you know the moment that they all couldn't deny it if it's going overhead at 300 feet, five miles an hour. What did that feel like to you? It, it, you know, I, 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 mean, I just didn't know what to think of it. You know, for years, I know it wasn't anything that we had. And Leavenworth, Fort Leavenworth said that it wasn't anything that they had. You know, and so then uh, Kirk Don Van Donigan had come up with this book, Cherry to the Gods. Mm -hmm. So now, I got, now I'm steeped into that, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm digging in the searching and I'm following stuff. And then here years later, you know, I run into people like Giorgio Saluskis from Ancient Alien. Yeah, yeah. You know, go to the conference out in L.A. You know, I saw Giorgio sitting at the bar. We was both there early. <laughs> I didn't know him from Adam. But I said, you know, whatever. I told the waitress, whatever he's drinking. We're at the LEX Hilton Hotel, you know, about two, three o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, whatever he's uh, drinking, I'm buying. And so <laughs> the lady asked him and we wanted to pay for it. She said, oh, no, no, no. Somebody else already paid for it. He said, who? He said, that guy in the cat over there. <laughs> and so he said, hey, so then me and George are sitting there kicking it and I'm talking to sharing stories. And at the time I'm still a bishop, but I'm talking about UFOs and aliens. And, uh, you know, I had also studied uh, 
uh, just a lot of the stories I was following Project Camelot with Carrie Cassidy at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah, I man. I knew a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I knew genetic knowledge. And so when I started talking about UFOs and aliens, <laughs> Giorgio says, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're talking about UFOs and aliens and all these experiences. And you're a bishop, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. We're going to need another round. <laughs> I mean, hey, I, I felt the same way, Daryl, when I found out when we saw I saw you talk at the spring equinox at Tom and Terry's event. You had talked about being a former bishop and and getting out of that and then kind of having this soul searching discovery of outside of Christianity, but also not, you know, I, I think you you still hold on to aspects of, of I guess, your religion, um, but you've really expanded your view on the world over the years from being a bishop and then to kind of on the path that you're you're on right now. And I just thought that was really, really interesting. I had never met a former minister, bishop that is, you know, that was is so open-minded and just wants to know outside of that bubble of Christianity, I guess. Hmm. Um, and so can you talk a little bit more about that, about how you kind of tr- transitioned into from being a bishop into some of the things that, uh, you know, I'm sure meeting Giorgio was, was part of that as well. Yeah. And I've had a lot of conversations with Giorgio. We would meet, I'd see him every year at the Conscious Life Expos for a number of years and when I would go, I would have like a private suite party every year, one for the staff, just because showing appreciation for their hard work. And then another mm-hmm. one, now they, they, they just call it Daryl's VIP party, but I'd invite some of the speakers and st- things like that. And so Georgia would always come to my parties. Um, cool. And, and, and if you can imagine, and not, not only that, because that was cool, but I, it, it became, and I didn't do it for a celebrity or anything like that. I just really did it out of gratitude. I, I'd sure. buy drinks. All uh, soda pops and beers, liquors, wines, finger foods, and I would just, you know, just show some love, and uh, and as well as the staff, uh, they really, really appreciate what I did there, and I, I you know, I, I appreciate what they do. But as it uh, turns out, like one year in particular, I was talking to Nassim Harriman and Eric Pearl, and we were talking. I was trying to figure out what was going on with the Sherman resonant frequency. Oh, because you know, it now sure. measuring starting to spike, and so I was asking their opinion, and I talked to Richard Hoagland and others. But then, subsequent to that, he says, "Well, now I'm thinking of what my friend Big Pie had taught me, and he's well, he was actually uh, he's he's he was initiated into the mysteries of the Dogon." Oh wow! So he's got a wealth of kinetic knowledge passed to him yeah. from a very high level Dogon priest. I Master saw him Nava. speak at the Spring Equinox too. He he blew me away. Oh yeah, he's that. That's my brother. We we talk almost every week. I think every Sunday we talk, almost with exception, without exception. And a lot of times we go to the venues together. If you see me at Serpent Mound, Big Buy is probably with me. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and but I also had Brother Mazatzin, who is a Aztec Mishtec calendar keeper. He makes the Mayan calendar. That's his family lineage. So if you can imagine, I've got Big Buy, Mazatzin, and Giorgio, all together in my suite. And I said that the idea was, guys, this is just going to chop it up because everybody's so focused on your little separate lane. Right. I, said, I just want to see if y'all just cut loose and start cross-pollinating. Yeah. And so uh, Mazatzin said something, but he says, you know, uh, well, the Mayans didn't, we never said that we made the calendar, you know, and we didn't say that 2012 was the end of the world. 
but he understands all the codices at a very, very intricate level. So he began talking about that. And then Giorgio starts talking about how it was connected to Pangaea before the continent separated. And then how maybe the the Mayans got what they got, but the Mayan, he said the Mayans got that learning from the Olmecs. Mm-hmm. You know, you ever see these big old Olmec he- oh, heads yeah. on these islands? Oh yeah. So so when he says that, that's where Big Bite chimes in. It says, well, you know, he, from the ancient lost comedic knowledge, the knowledge that we, we haven't known for 2,500 years. This is stuff that, you know, during the pharaonic period when we had pharaohs, yeah, every pharaoh had a priest and all those priests were Dogon. Mm. And so when the... Uh, really? The, the front, yes, the, they were the, Dogon. The priests of the pharaohs were Dogons. Dogons, yeah. Really? They were from the Dogon. Yeah, very interesting. And they were the keepers of all the, the knowledge, all the spiritual knowledge. And they had separate disciplines because there, there's some Dogon who preside over everything related to the medicines or the operating of the eye. Another one, maybe the ear. Another one, maybe nature and the environment. Another one, the blood system. So, but before the uh, the empire, I mean, before the the uh, pharaohs fell, the, the the upper and lower Nile valleys, the pharaohs said, well, let these fools take what they think is precious. Let them have the gold and the diamonds and the rubies. But they said, keep take that which is most precious and keep it from them. And that was a knowledge. So they, he ordered all of the priests to be scattered throughout the interior of Africa. And so from that period of time, 2,500 years, we haven't heard from them until. But they never stopped sharing the knowledge. What we didn't know was they were still holding these initiations passing that knowledge on to another generation. They would take little boys between seven to nine years old, and they would have a certain ceremony where they could discern whether this person was meant for the priesthood. And then if they were, then for the next 30 years, they'd spend learning that discipline. And so they've done that for 2,500 years. And we never heard from an authentic Dogon priest until Master Nava came, and that was Bikbai's teacher. Mm. Oh, my gosh. And he was a high, high, high-level Dogon priest. Spoke five, I think he spoke uh, five languages. I don't know how many master's degrees he had. He was educated as well, right. but he went through initiations. And so he came to the United States. He was sent because he said that the time has come to share this information and reintroduce this lost wisdom to humanity, and particularly in the West, because this is where the most influence is. So Master Naba came. And uh, he gave a presentation in Chicago and Big Bye at the time, his name was Courtney Scott. And he was uh, he was a student um, <laughs> at Penn State and, and he's a teacher. But he was so compelled by what he heard. He said he wanted to hear more. So long story short, he and Master Naba worked together to share this. You know, Master Naba told him what his assignment was, which to share this information. I don't have a place to go. I don't know where to start. I just got sent and I'm obedient to what he's supposed to do. He didn't want to come, but he did. And so Big Five found a place where they could hold meetings. And then ultimately they opened up an earth center in Chicago, and then where they shared this lost comedic knowledge. And then they opened up another one in San Diego, oh, San Diego, you know, San Diego, Chicago, uh, uh, Los Angeles, uh, Baltimore. I was so compelled when I heard about it. The first time I heard Big Bye speak and uh, Master Naba's son, and I listened to some of Master Naba's videos, I said, I got to go see this for myself. So I jumped on a plane. I went to Chicago to the Earth Center. <laughs> Wow. Damn. And then I said, well, shoot, that's pretty badass. And so then I said, I, well, maybe that's a one-off. So I flew to the one out in L.A. 
And then I said, okay, that's pretty cool. And then I went to the one in San Diego. I said, okay, I'm sold. This is this is real McCoy. This is legit. <laughs> wow. And Big Brian and I have been best friends ever since. So that's awesome. That began the journey of those spiritual systems and the philosophies that pre- predate the Bible, precede the Bible. And in fact, sometimes you can take some of the texts that you hear about. You know, the, the lost books of the dead or the books of coming forth by day and by night. And now so many other texts. And you can see where biblical text was taken directly from something that was written in Much stone right. thousands yep. before them. <clears throat> yep. But maybe it's a little bit different. So, Daryl, were you conflicted as a Christian? Were you conflicted learning all of these things? Or were you trying to integrate the new information with, I mean, this is when you were a bishop, correct? So... I mean, this had to be really blowing your mind as a, as this thinking, you know, learning everything from a Christian's eyes. Um, you know, was there any confliction within yourself? Well, there, there was plenty of plenty of conflict. Uh, you know, even even for years, even going through ministry, you kind of developed a type of cognitive cognitive dissonance. Yep, where. I know what reason and logic tell me in life experiences, but theologically, I know what my Bible says. And I was one of those guys, you know, basically that says, you know, if it ain't in my Bible, I don't need to know it. You know, and that's the way I was raised, you know, from Pentecostal to Southern Baptist Conference and conventions. And I I, I visited a lot of other churches, but, you know, those, those two worlds didn't meet. And of course, when you're in the pulpit, you know, if it's not in your Bible, you don't preach about it. You don't talk about it. Uh, so it's easy to almost keep those two worlds separate, but I, I began to really ask more questions the more I knew. And so, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was tormenting at times where, you know, I almost felt hypocritical, uh, cause I'm saying things that I'm not sure that I really believe anymore mm. and, and things that I think that I was told, you know, says, well, if you didn't believe it, well, you just don't have enough faith for it. Go pray about it, brother. To oh, now I'm reading documents <clears throat> and you put two and two together and it comes up nine. Hmm. So I got to the point where I just took a sabbatical. I mean, I, I resigned from my job. I just went in one day and said, you know, I just got to the point that I was just this that much of a conflict. Uh, I said, I'm not just not showing up. Right. And so I told my employer, says, look, you know, you can probably hire two kids out of college and paying what you're paying me. Uh, my heart's just not in it. I didn't have another job lined up. Uh, I, I ended up taking 11 months off work. And that's where I met Big Bye. And that's where I ran into Mazatzen and developed a relationship with Giorgio. Uh, it met so many amazing people. And, and at first, it looks like, why am I even doing I mean, I mean, I went out and I learned how to read. I never intended to, but I could read Akashic Records. It, and I did it in spades. And then I went and learned how to do Reiki healing, one and two. You know, I used to be a reader for Teresa Caputo in the Long Island Medium. You know, I was... I had a friend who actually was administrator for the fans of the Long Island Medium, and she saw where I posted, hey, look, I just graduated and I can read Akashic Records. Well, she asked me if I could come on to the Facebook fan page because there were people there that nobody could help, and Teresa Caputo wasn't reaching out to help them either. But she said, well, Darryl, these people are suffering really bad. They just lost a loved one or somebody's missing. So I said, well, I'll see what I can do. And I did a lot of good there. Uh, I, 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 I did that for almost 11 months. Until sometimes I was doing like five readings a day while I'm still working full time and just taking so much energy. Yeah. But I'm but I'm thinking, okay, Akashic Records, the Hall of Records, uh, 
you know, what does all this mean? Because, I mean, I was doing the dang gun thing, astral projection, out-of-body stuff, you know. It, it, it's it's kind of like being Neo in the Matrix. You know, you just load the program. And so I had all this going on. And then I guess the quick way to answer your question is I, I just got to the point where my spirituality outgrew my theology. Sure. And I just had to embrace that. And for three years, I had all these random experiences. And there were times I stopped back and asked myself, you know, what are you doing? And why, why'd you do that? But after three years, now I can look back at each one of those experiences. They, they looked all random. But if I had a bow and arrow, they all lined up. Wow. But it took three years of frustration and confusion, but three years of trusting, okay, that uh, I tried not to go anywhere that I didn't need to be. But if my spirit says go, and sometimes it was my sister saying go, <laughs> are we going? Yeah. But I trusted that. And uh, then I, I I wasn't concerned. It was kind of embarrassing. You know, people ask me, well, Bishop, what happened to you? You know, don't you love God anymore? Don't mm. you still love Jesus? And I still have people that question it. What, when, but I, when you get that happen, though, do you actually talk to them? And do they, if you have a conversation, do they leave that conversation going, oh, I get it? Or do you get people that really don't understand what you know you're trying to do or where you're going with it? Do they dig in on your even, pathway, even like deeper? Yeah, almost tried you to pull you back in. Yeah, yeah. The That's, camp is it's a split camp. Sure. You know, I got some people that are so thoroughly indoctrinated in it that you know, um, and some of the people that are very, very, very close to me. So sure. I don't mean this as a criticism or condemnation because I was one of those people. Sure. So I I know what that's like. But then some of them I just really candid, you know, that I can be raw with. It's just, I said, well, what about this? And what about this? And the Jesus that you're talking about, there was no J in the Hebrew Bible. So if you're going to put all your life on somebody's salvation, don't you think you all at least say his name right? You know? Right, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> and I would tell him, says, well, look, there's things that even mm-hmm. Jesus said. Jesus is quoting something that you say is in the Bible, but you can't find it in the Bible. But Jesus said it. So it says, no, wouldn't it be cool to find out, well, then who is Jesus quoting? If mm. you can't find it in James, then where is it written? Right. And when was it written? And who wrote it? Right. And so I said, let's take it to another level. But And some people do, and, and it resonates with them. You know, I, I did an interview on Billy Carson's uh, Forbidden Knowledge. I sent you a link to it. Yeah. But there were like 500,000 people, half a million people watched that video. Oh, yeah. Wow. That was a good and interview. What's and what's amazing was, I think, that's what I saw, you know, and Roderick Martin let me know there was only one negative comment. There were over 3,000 people who commented on that interview. And I was expecting I was going to get beat up. Yeah. But out of 3,200 comments, the the only negative comment was people said, Roderick, you're talking too much. Let him talk. Let Terrell talk. <laughs> <laughs> and I had people that were from the church. I had other pastors that reached out and other apostles and bishops. And yeah. so... People saying, I'm glad you said it, you know, and so uh, and I guess I've had a similar experience. And I've had a lot of people from the quote unquote corporate church that, you know, they resonate as well. It just, you know, that's just kind of like a silent minority, you know, but just stuff that's hard to talk about. But I'm finding more and more people talking about it. Right. You know, and and now what's going on in Congress and things, you know, not even my people that are so critical. I, I called them. You know, some people just can't hear you. They just can't listen. And I call them, those people are oversaved. You know, I call them oversaved. You know, they say, <laughs> you, you, you so heaven bound that you just ain't no damn earthly good. 
Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But a lot oh. of them anyway. But you got other people. Now, you know, I tell them there's a scripture as well. And I can't throw out the scripture because those are wisdom. The fact that some of it is adulterated and some of it maybe is misconstrued, but it's still wisdom. And these were these are uh, letters that were in circulation even during Jesus' time. You know, was there was no Bible, a collection of books. These were just separate letters. Yeah. And if you look at what they are, somebody trying to share and leave behind a legacy of wisdom and teachings, and then that's just what they are. And so you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right. which, which you can't, is you can throw away the religion, right? which has been devised as a tool to kind of corral us and control us and then looking for the text for what they are and then go back and find the relevant truth in them can we say that's something similar to what we said earlier we were talking about say medicine on on a on a a manufactured scale and say natural medicines right and the whole i think what you're doing in your facilitator role that you've had for a long time and your ability to bridge these gaps and then going through the religious aspect of it and in your conviction and faith in it and then kind of your evolutionary process, I think you're living it and, and evolving with it more than you know, right? Like you're you're actually, like you said earlier, you're you're beyond what it could be for you as far as just that one avenue of thinking of, of just from the religious aspect. When you start bringing in your own experiences and you know other New people that have had experiences and yeah, and, and the melding of that information and taking different genres of like, Again, when you said you had everybody in the room of like, let's mix it up. Let's see what all you like. That's very helpful sometimes to really shed light and get those big questions asked and kind of like move a little further. And I think I just think it's very interesting that your overall characteristic of being that facilitator from an early on point in your life. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like to you how you said when you line all of them up, like all those arrows shoot straight instead of feeling like you're ping ponging all around. It's definitely in a linear path towards. I think a higher knowledge, a higher awareness, um, like you said, kind of like feeling like Neo in the Matrix. It feels mm-hmm. like you're living in a different reality at certain points because you're so aware of it. And even speaking of that, <clears throat> just strange ironies, I think, happen when you are in the right place for the right reasons. But I even the woman who wrote the Matrix is a good friend of mine. So mm. Sophia Stewart, I don't know if you're familiar with her. No, yeah. um, I'm not. Yeah. No. Yeah, she was the woman who actually wrote The Matrix and The Terminator. The script was stolen from her. I've and seen she that clip. It. I've seen yeah. that clip. Yeah, I've right. seen that on Twitter, right. I believe. Yep. yep. That's where I yeah. saw it. I had a radio show, and I haven't broadcast for seven years, but I had her. I interviewed her maybe seven or eight times, and I, I've been out to Vegas a few times to visit with her. And we're good friends. We would talk for hours on the phone. And uh, at one time, I was trying to help her market The Matrix Part 4, her version of it. And I was looking for a person that would buy the script, um, $30 million. But I ended up spending hours and hours and days and days. She's a good, dear friend. Yeah. You know, but sometimes I get into a jam or something. I say, well, shoot, I got to call the Oracle. You know, (laughs) 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 Yeah. and she would break stuff down. And she is so (laughs) just a matrix. You know, she was inspired to write the matrix. And a lot of people don't know. But when the Terminator came out, that was from her script. And the original book was called The Third Eye. But uh, the Wachowski brothers, sisters, you know, they didn't know how to do all of the cinemagraphics that were in her script. So what they did first was they created a screenplay in a movie called The Terminator. 
And then when they got the cinema stuff down, they could do stop motions and all this stuff. Then they did, out of the same book, they created The Matrix. But John Connor in The Terminator is Neo in The Matrix. They're the same person. Mm. Yes. And John Connor being an anagram for Jesus Christ, Neo in The Matrix, an anagram for The One. Yeah, yeah. I do remember all that. I do re- yeah. from well, the, the yeah you're blowing my mind right now. Jeez, the machine world and Zion, they're all, all that. Stuff. You got the Oracle on speed dial. <laughs> what else? I do. Shit, man, you got UFOs <laughs> flying around you. <laughs> I want to hang out with Daryl. Uh, Daryl, one of my big interests. Sorry, I, I just have to. I'm very interested in number one, the lost years of Jesus. That I was going to say, that no Christian first, yeah. ever wants to talk about. Um, we've had a, you know, one of the most open-minded Christian friends that we have is the co-host of kill the mockingbirds podcast, Joel Thomas. Yeah. Shout out to Joel. He's amazing. Great guy. Uh, you know, Christian, but so open-minded, so down to earth. Yep. He, he's convicted in the, you know, in his belief in the Bible and the truth of the Bible, but is reading the book of Enoch, the Emerald tablets of Thoth. You know, he's out there, trying to, you know, really understand, uh, you know, whether it's the lost and, and the giants, he's very interested in the Nephilim and those biblical stories. Is there any books like the lost years of Jesus or the missing books from the Bible? There you go. Is that Billy's book? Yes. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I understand because, you know, it doesn't necessarily connect the dots on that question. I know when I began my transition, um, my friend Big Bai offered me to do something because I had a lot of questions for him. Again, I flew out to Los Angeles just to hear him, and just on a humbug, we became good friends. I just asked him and Miriam Delicado, who was doing work with the Hopi, Hopi and the, I uh, uh, can't remember the other tribe. Zuni. Well, she was talking with the Kikmangui of the Hopi. Hopi Nation, and she was also working with the Dogon at the time. Yeah, I think there was another one. But I happened to catch him late that night after they spoke, and I said, hey, look, hey, if you guys are hungry, you know, there's a restaurant across the street offering to buy you breakfast. And that was it. We've been off and running ever since. But so uh, long story short, you know, and after my trips with to go out and see these earth centers, and Big Bai hosted me, you know, uh, he, he didn't make it to Chicago, but I was received there quite well. Um, and at the time, he was the senior, what they call the senior hopu. He was over all of the earth centers, you know. Um, he and Master Naba were the, the, the founders. Well, I think we lost Daryl. Daryl? Yep, we totally lost Daryl. No worries. We'll take a little timeout break. I'm hearing something. I, I'm still here. Oh, there we go. We got you now, okay. Daryl. Quick, quick question. Does he have anything that's tied into his Wi-Fi or feeding off of that at the moment? Anything else running in the background streaming that might be, or is it just weather or something? Or I'm not sure. Do you have like a Google Drive syncing or Dropbox or something like that that might be pulling some some data I'm down? Not, let me shut down some other things that might be tapped in. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just curious. Yeah, yeah. We've been running well. 
Cool. Uh, I think you were saying, Daryl, before uh, we had a little f- freezage, um, you were talking to us about uh, Big Bay and and some of the the things that you were getting into on your trip. Yeah. Well, th- there was one thing that he explained to me about the, how the nature. Oh, well, a couple of things about how the nature of energy works from a Dogon perspective. And so when I say Dogon, I'm well, I'm talking about ancient knowledge during the Pharaonic period or even. Um, prior to that, because there were civilizations in the, in the Nile Valley preceding the, the what we call the, the pharaonic period, the pharaohs. But so it's even more ancient than that. It's more than thousands of years old. But he told me that they have what they call, uh, they do it energy readings, how they can take our earth readings. And they said that these guys are so accurate, it's a science, that they can actually do certain things by positioning stones or objects on the ground and drawing certain diagrams in the dirt that they can tell you and you can call it to the bush and one of these Dogon priests who who specializes is in cosmogony. I didn't even know it was a word. Cos- not, not cosmology, cosmogony. Yeah. Hmm. I think you're saying it wrong. He says, no, it's cosmogony. But they said that they can uh, from here in Ohio you know, to where they're at in Mali, West Africa, you know, they said that they're so accurate, they can tell you what color shirt you're wearing and what you have for breakfast this morning hmm. just by doing the energy readings. So, but he had also told me about the concept of the way energy moves with the, the this planet. They call her Ta. And she's a, she's another form of intelligence. And Ta speaks to all of his, her brothers and sisters, the other celestial body. But there's two energy channels. They're called the dialogue of energies. Ta is always struggling to express its energies through all of the little things on the planet, from the rocks and the mountains to the trees, and even the human beings. We're like energy channels. And the Bayou Ali is always trying to express itself to all these other uh, uh, intelligences. And then in return, though, all the other intelligences are trying to get signals and messages in, and that's the Yenu. So you, we have this constant dialogue of the Bayou Ali and the Yenu. And the minute if an object becomes um, becomes blocked, like say maybe as a human being, you're holding on to too much anger. Well, we might experience that as a cancer in our bodies or things like that. Or the yinu can't come in because we're holding on to jealousy or, or you know, these negative emotions that actually become blockages to the, the flow, that dialogue, that energy. And what that energy does indiscriminately is it programs you for destruction. Just like the branches in a storm here. I got branches of the trees that they're all over my yard, you know, and and, and it's because, you know, maybe they were just too weak or they, they just dry rotted, but they fall off and die. And then the cycle continues. But the same can be said about us. You know, if we become so toxic or whatever that that, we, that energy becomes blocked. Then the Bayou and the Yenu can't flow. Mm. So just long story short. I wanted to understand more about these energy readings. So Big Pai had set it up for me to uh, call their headquarters here from Ohio. He set it up and I had a date and a time that I would call to their uh, a switchboard in Chicago. And he had set it up that I would be talking to a Dogon priest out in the bush somewhere in Mali, West Africa. And they would have an interpreter and I would have an opportunity to ask him any questions that I wanted to ask. Wow! And so I did. And amongst that, I asked the question that you just asked. Like, I wanted to know about God and I wanted to know about Jesus. And uh, uh, as I understand those lost years, he actually did. He spent some time in in. This is the probably the one book I would recommend 
written by Master Nava himself is called uh, Philosophy Podium. So here you have knowledge from a high-level Dogon priest, and he's sharing information in here that, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's rare and it's full of gems and jewels. But to say this, then, uh, that the Dogon have a record that Jesus himself, who we call Jesus, that personage, uh, did during uh, in the, what we call the lost years. He did some some time in in Asia, but he also was taught and learned in the in the temples in Thebes and Dendera. He he was he spent some time in Africa, and so he went to he tended like probably initiating some of those mystery schools. Mm-hmm. And just like other texts and research kind of indicates that so was, um, so was apparently his father, his uncle. I, it's pretty well documented that his uncle brought him to Egypt and uh, England, and he had studied with, you know, he was uh, uh, his uncle was a trader. Gosh, what was his uncle's name? Very, very famous. I even think his name's mentioned in the Bible, but um, I know it's pretty well documented that they made a journey to basically like the shores of what what's you know modern day like the stories of Arthur, and uh, they had trading missions, and he gained the ancient knowledge from, you know, the folks that were uh, the Druids from Stonehenge, but then also was in Egypt learning from priests and made his rounds as a young man and learned all these different Egyptian mystery schools, Druid mystery schools. And, you know, there's a temple in, um, I think it's the, uh, somewhere in Nepal where they still have an ashram of a Buddhist temple where the, the scroll is still there, where it talks about this, man named Isa that came to the land and healed people. And supposedly you can go up into, you know, the Himalayas to this temple where it has this story. The Brahmins of India have stories about this traveler that came to their land and uh, disrupted the power structure of the Hindu religion. So that's There's fascinating to me. Well, there, there are video videos of Master Namba speaking about it and, uh, and specifically on that and some other interesting information specifically related to the personage of Jesus in these lost years and just some other uh, we would call esoteric knowledge. But it just would make sense because even following that period ascribed to when he was here, you know, even uh, all the Greeks, that, that that's where they went to go study. Aristotle, Euripides, right. Aristophanes, all of them went to study in Africa. That's where they got the story of Atlantis. Socrates that, and his, his uncle, yeah, that all came from their travels from Egypt. His great grandfather or his grandfather passed that story down to Socrates. Well, it yeah. should not be a surprise because the Greeks were doing it, the Hebrews were doing it, and so even prior to them, that because that was just the, the seat of knowledge at, at that period of time. So that it's not surprising uh, to me to find that he, even Pythagoras, you know, he said that he didn't create it. Pythagoras says he he got it from the comedic people in Egypt. That's mm-hmm. where he got Pythagorean theorem. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. So, yeah, did, did I get wrapped around the axle on that one? There, no, man. I, this is our. Hey, man, this is that. This is the show. Like, uh, no, this, this is, is exactly the show. Yeah, yeah. This is we can go in any direction we want. Um, I love the story that you told us before we went live about your first time going to Serpent Mound. And that experience of how you, it's part of your journey, right? To kind of become who you are now. 
And I think Serpent Mound was a place that I have a similar story and came to it when I was in a period of transition as well. And it, and multiple visits and meeting people like Jeffrey Wilson and Tom and Terry and all these other folks that really helped me work through, you know, eventually starting this podcast and creating a, the company with Kyle and everything. So I really resonated with that. And if you could just kind of go through that for our audience one more time. Well, I was at that stage then where I'm going through my growing pains, you know, and really, yeah, I mean, there were times uh, I felt like I was in labor. You know, I, I'm giving birth to something. I don't know what 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 it is, but it hurts. You know, and it's kind of like the mental anguish that goes along with it, the confusion. I was having trouble in my relationship and it trouble was really just it, it was just a difficult period of time. So for me, I, I just knew I needed to get grounded. I'm, I'm also kind of a, an empath and I didn't know how to manage energy very well. You know, and I'm taking in things from all kinds of places and I didn't have a language for it. Uh, things are going on in my church. I'm not really feeling great about, or even it being a bishop, because sometimes people put you on a uh, elevate you on a stool on a level where you know mm -hmm. says, "No, I know, I know, I'm not, I ain't all of that, and I know you ain't like that. Any, you know, you only like this on Sunday. I know what you did Saturday night. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw you. I was there too, y'all. We, <laughs> we know that all too well. I'll tell you what. I saw a lot of people in my time in their Sunday best, <laughs> looking their absolute worst in a summer, hot, hungover, making it through a Sunday mass. Like, just get me out of this suit. Yeah. Oh, I was at I was at that point where I'm kind of feeling I need I need to get grounded somehow. I need to. And so for me, I was going to drive back to Kansas from Ohio just to be with my family, you know, because I always felt you know, when I whenever I went home, I would go home every year. And it's like, OK, you know, I can breathe again. You know, I'm around people I know and I love and things that are familiar. You know, nobody's got any motive, no judgment. So that was my plan to drive to Kansas. And it was uh, I was maybe three and a half hours into my drive. And again, I had my GPS set. I, I knew I had, I was going the right way and I was just trusting my GPS, but somehow I, 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 I know I was like, uh, I don't know, 50 or 60 miles off course. And so how'd I get over here? Cause you know, now I'm on secondary roads. I, it's supposed to be a highway all the way through. And then I saw said Serpent Mound, 17 miles. And I think I, I heard a Serpent Mound somewhere before, and I said, well, I, I guess that's where I'm going. I'm just going to trust. trust." And so I said, all right, I guess we're going to Serpent Mound. And it was getting late. Um, it was getting close to sunset. By the time I got to the park, to Serpent Mound National Park, where they actually the, the effigy is, the park was closed. Uh, it was just dusk. You know, I could still make out trees and stuff, but the sun was actually below the horizon. And it was a drizzling rain. I'll never forget it. You know, I, I had another step and sets and hat, and I'm worried. It's, I'm up here. I'm going to walk on that mound, you know, but now I'm probably going to ruin my hat. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sweet hat. <laughs> I'd be worried. Got to make a decision here. <laughs> but I walked the mound. And so I remember I started, I walked around to it. It's my first time ever to the park. I didn't really know much about Serpent Mount at all. I didn't know a lot of the amazing things I, I do now, but I walked uh, on the concrete path all the way down to the head of it. And then I said, I'm going to walk up to the tail, but I'm going to walk on the mound. You know, I know I'm not supposed to, it's a sacred site, but I said, okay, but I said, okay, my intentions are pure. I don't mean any harm. I'm not trying to desecrate it, but I'm praying as I'm walking and I'm, I'm trying to do positive affirmations and I'm praying for things that I wanted to see change, uh, praying for people. 
And so when I got up to the tail and I started to turn around and go back, uh, it was just like all of a sudden in, in front of me, there was like a field of these parallelograms, just like shadows, just just floating in the air. But dozens or hundreds of, them, you know, and I'm actually I'm, I'm recording this prayer. I'm, I got my it's like old Blackberry phone. I think at the time that was mm -hmm. the style of phone. Yeah. I'm talking my Blackberry. I'm talking my prayers and, you know. And because I, but when I got to this, you know, I'm, I just continue talking so I can hear myself. I played it back for Terry and Tom and other people, you know, to say I even recorded this. Um, but I said, yeah, I was like, what is this? And I'm describing, I'm trying to describe like a field of like, like these patterns floating in front of me. But I, I felt at peace with it. it. It was odd. It was crazy. And although it was dark, they were darker than the darkness. I could mm. still discern these patterns still floating in front of me although now it's 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 almost dark but it's like now they invited me to walk into this field and so i just i just walk into it i'm still talking on my phone and as i just kept walking it's like this whole field of patterns they just were moving with me and then at some point you know i'm just amazed and i'm just you know like wow what, what is this and then i walked maybe 10 or 15 yards and then that whole field stopped and I came out the other side. And when I did, I mean, I could feel the difference. The best way I could describe it is like going through a spiritual car wash. All the junk I had when I went in wasn't with me when I came out. Wow. And I did, I'm getting Ooh. goosebumps. Just me too. Me too. And so I don't know if it was ancestors. I don't know really what it was or the energy there, but that's when Serpent Mound says, okay, I need to know more about this place. Um, and, and after that, I was good to go. All that junk I had, I just turned around. And I said, I'm good to go. I can go back to Ohio. I'm good for another whole year. Somebody else's junk. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but then I, that's when I made a connection and decided that, uh, I went back to Serpent Mound when I saw that they were holding an event, met Terry and Thomas, and I just wanted to go experience it and learn from Thomas and others. What makes this place so special? You know, what was that? You know, and wow. and ever since I, I go back, you know, I'm pretty much uh, I try to make every event that they have. We got one coming up this September. Mm -hmm. You know, we some, and I would encourage the listeners if you really want to, you, know, you try me out. You, you don't, don't take my word for it. Come on down to Serpent Mound and mm -hmm. uh, at our next Equinox and see if you can experience something. It's a special place, and I don't think there's another place on it uh, on the planet like it. From a geological standpoint, they tell me that there's not. There's no other mm -hmm. place on the planet that was hit by impact crater that was on a ley line that's got these mad, crazy energies mm -hmm. flowing out of it. Oh, it's yeah. It's magnified these social seasons. Do you think sometimes that what you just said there with the, 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 the um, sorry, the meteor, the whatever impacted into that, that made that crater to that ley line, like it was almost drawn to it? Feels like like drawn to that line and that power to, like you know, what I mean? like a magnet pulling it in, like special that made that broke whole, it wide open. Yeah, like it just doesn't seem by chance. Like that area is just so unbelievably unique, and the fact that one of the most amazing ancient sites in the world is inside of it and built inside of it. I mean, yeah, there's so many start. things that the ancient people knew that we don't understand. And Daryl, one thing we've really, I've learned and what I really truly believe is that it's Serpent Mount is a machine for spiritual growth, pure and simple. It's some kind of machine that, that works in different dimensions, um, the pathway of the souls, 
you know, the this this traveling through Draco, through the um, the Milky Way galaxy, you know, on the back of the the constellations that at certain times where everything is kind of lined up and and it's, it feels like it's this tool, this machine almost um, with this really ancient belief that, you know, the Egyptians had a similar uh, pathway of the souls, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, uh, all these kind of beliefs really line up. And, the, and it was kind of the Eastern, the Western version of so many other ancient beliefs, but they're all very similar. How do you explain that? Well, I think that you probably nailed it on the head. I think there were civilizations before ours that had maybe they had high technology, but but not in the sense that we have today. Mm-hmm. I think they had a better understanding of how the earth and its design, including its ley lines mm-hmm. um, and its geography and even its geology, are affected by or in harmony with celestial bodies. You know, that would explain maybe why the, you, when you get to Egypt, you know, the pyramid complexes, why they are lined up with the Pleiadian constellation. And there's an alignment. And during certain times of the year, just like pyramids and Teotihuacan and others, you know, and the certain full moons is when you see the sun coming down through the shaft or when you see the serpent going up the stairway of uh, Chichen Itza. I mm-hmm. think the Chichen Itza pyramid. Yep. And just the same serpent mount is when you look at the curves in the serpent, but they line up with uh, summer and winter solstices. They, they line up certain times of the year in perfect harmony with celestial events. Yeah. Some temples have one or two serpent mound has like 12 alignments potentially. And they're also tracking the moonrise and moon, not just the sun, but it's also got a lunar calendar built into it as well. Um, And then phi is, is built into encoded into the tail. The Greeks supposedly were the ones that in not pi, but phi, uh, they were the ones that supposedly came up with that, but here it is in 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 Ohio. Yeah, and it's it's really really unbelievable. That's such a cool story. I love hearing people's ex- first experiences of when they first, you know, came across Serpent Mound or or the first time they visited. You know, VJ's story is incredible. Mm-hmm. The first time he went to Serpent Mound. Uh, which you may have met VJ actually, an uh, Indian gentleman that uh, was kind of coming to Tom and Terry and Jeffrey Wilson's events throughout a, a, a couple year period. I'm sure I, I must have ran across him. Yeah, I've been I've, I've been frequent at Serpent Mound probably in the last ten years, seven to yeah. ten years. Great. Yeah. I I probably have. And I, I hate missing events. <laughs> when it, it's only like a four hour drive for me from here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, knowing what it is now, because I used to go, used to be that going to the Conscious Life Expos in Los Angeles, that was my place to go get grounded. And I used mm-hmm. to go twice a year when they used to have it. Now they have it just in February. But that was my time to be around my tribe. Oh, yeah. you know. I could find people that didn't judge me and they a little bit, they far more far left than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but I resonate, you know, and I met these the coolest people just sitting in the lobby. I mean, right. I'm sitting, you know, just sitting at the Conscious Life Expo. You're sitting at, at the in the restaurant or in the bar and you're talking to Richard Hoagland, you know, former NASA advisor mm-hmm. to President or Nassim Harriman, Eric Pearl, uh, Barbara Lamb, uh, you name it. They, they, they were all there. I've always um, wanted to go. To the Conscious Life Expo. It's, Every been, February. it's been calling me. Maybe we'll go with Daryl. 
we can meet up out there. Yeah. There you go. Well, I, and I, yeah, they'll tell you I get the best party. You know, dude, we go to <laughs> Daryl's VIP party. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and the thing about that because it's not like you know, I also DJ out there too, if, if, or lecture. But uh, typically, I I'm uh, offered a DJ because you know I like I like to see people have a good time. And they Heck have, yeah, Daryl's. I mean, the biggest party I've ever DJed was at the Conscious Life Expo. Seventeen thousand people nice. came through that. Week. And you know, awesome. got a space cowboy on the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta see that. Dude, yeah, yeah. I'm in. Okay, I would like to do that too. That sounds like a lot of fun. But the the private suite parties, because I only get so much space, and so I can only invite so many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and of course, and that's the that that for me, that's the that's the big payday. Yeah, you know because. You have these one-on-one. I mean, you met Jordan Maxwell coming up party, Sean David Martin, you know, and we're just sitting in there just, I got some music going on in the background, but it's about all the connections. Zarathustra with fifth dimensional quantum healing, Gail Thackeray, John of God. And we're just sitting there, you know, just sipping and talking, having one-on-one, but you get to be a fly on the wall. And these other people who are just so, again, just focus on their lane because that's what they do. And a lot of them, that's their livelihood. And so, although they they began this journey with a multiple of interests, just like I did, uh, the difference between them and me in some cases is is that I've I've not confined myself to any discipline. Right. Mm. I, I read Akashic records, and I could be doing nothing but reading Akashic records. I could do uh, remote healing. You know, I can do astral projection. I can make a career out of that or Reiki. But I, I just, you know, my philosophy, as opposed to them, when it becomes your lifestyle, and now you need to pay bills, you got a mortgage to pay, you got kids to sit through school, and now it gets to be a point where, you know, you, you're obligated right. and you got to kind of stay focused. But now when you have a function like this and people can get loose and they can cross pollinate, and, you know, they say, hey, Jordan, I meant to ask you, you know, because you was at the Vatican and you was talking about <laughs> this, you know, and, and he's talking to maybe, uh, maybe Greg Braden. You know, and I like Greg Braden. I'm, I'll show you out. Probably you know who he is too. Yeah, from Guy. Uh, yeah, I like Greg because he's shorter than I am, and he likes my boots. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's he seems like a very interesting guy. Oh man, uh, no, that's not for you. Yeah, role. yeah. Well, he's a brilliant scientist, but that actually happened. Yeah. You know, Greg and yeah, he's he a complimented. Smart dude. He is, and he's coming out with some really, really great material. And him, he and others are talking about now we're getting into simulacrum or we're talking about the uh, the possibility that we've got even more ancient civilizations built upon other ancient civilizations, mm-hmm. sure. which is this discongruency of where the math of the years just don't match unless you you put some of these discoveries in the context. Well, you know, maybe there was an, another reset. You know, I think Greg Braden right now is saying just looking from the geological record and then also the 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 what we have the written record, mm-hmm. it would seem like every twelve to thirteen thousand years there's been a major reset mm-hmm. and like civilization just like we got wiped out and unless you found it written in stone, you know, or you got pyramids, you know, but that explains structures. Even he said recently they found another structure. Now with with the uh, the ice sheet melting, they found sophisticated complexes that existed before there was an ice sheet in in the Antarctic. What? So, yes. And he says now that was at least um, thirteen thousand years ago. Old Antarctica. So who built that thirteen thousand years ago? 
That's it. That's the last refuge of the most mystery is of strange. Yeah, all strange. It's like it's like they always used to joke about Florida that if you picked up the U.S. by the panhandle of Florida, like all the and this is not what I feel, but like all the garbage would run down to the end of the panhandle, right? But if you did that with the world at large, like all of the strange has run down to Antarctica. Yeah. Right, if you tip it on its end, all the weird stuff has matriculated it's, down to Antarctica. We got all these treaties no where everybody's, you know, very nice about it. No country owns it. Everybody, like, shares it equally. It's like the moon. Right. Kind of, yeah. It's this armistice, you know, area where there's there's no no fighting over it, no this or that. Stories but about very mysterious. Nazi bases and pyramids oh, under yeah. the ice. And, I mean, it's just like. Well, maybe you might know more about mystery. that. About the uh, bases there in yeah. Antarctica. I've heard of a few things, you know, even starting with why why did Operation High Jump ever take off? Sure. Why did the President of the United States send 4,000 people on an expedition in the Antarctic? Admiral Byrd. And out of 1,500 came back. Right. 2,600 got killed and nobody talked about it? That's a real stat? Yes. Jeez, um, I knew that they went down there and it wasn't successful. I didn't know that it was like like, uh, that detrimental. And they don't even talk about that, but it's out there. And then, of course, the, what is known is we know that Admiral Byrd came back with a report that his he lost control of his craft, him mm. and his fleet, and something guided him into this place and set the airplanes down, greeted them with a nice cup of something warm and tasty and green, and basically met with him. And he says these were aliens. And they said he had basically sent him back with a message to get to the presidents or the leaders of the world. Says, stop messing around. You know, you mess around stuff that you don't understand. And he came back and he wrote that all in his diary. So, and that's an admiral. Now, why would he lie? Right. You know, why did they see him on an expedition and then he even funded himself to go back? Something drew him there, you know. And then, of course, Hitler went there. You know, a lot of the Foo Fighters, you know, or other uh, strange things. Um, but I think the Admiral Bird story is a very compelling one for the, for the skeptic. You know, and I think from a standpoint, if if you can stomach the fact that there are things, you know, even going back to like this book, what the Dogon would tell you, they say that they've had a history of these other extraterrestrial beings here on this planet for over 80,000 years, the greys. And even Master Nava actually writes it in his book, you know. And they lived in caves. They couldn't come out very often because they said that the, the 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 atmosphere and the radiation wasn't very conducive. But now whether these were aliens or maybe these are remnants of a lost civilization from 80,000 years still living somewhere in the inner earth, but they refer to them as aliens. But even beyond that, the Dogon say that, you know, people want to know how do they get the information? Because the Dogon were the first people to ever report of a binary solar system. You know, that back right. is that was back in the 1950s when two French anthropologists went there and they'd been studying uh, Marcus Grayoul and his assistant had been studying the Dogon for years. And he'd come back and write in his diary and he says, among the other, these other really peculiar myths that the Dogon say is, you know, how they get knowledge that, well, we measure time in our rotation around the earth, or the earth around the sun, 365 days. He said the Dogon say, well, you were only halfway right. He says that you will not be in the exact same spot 365 days from now. It will take 51, no, 50, 51.2 years. And then you will be in the exact same spot because 
even our son is obedient to another when he says that it revolves around serious A. Mm-hmm. And they had known about serious A and B way before we had the telescope power to actually At see serious A. And, and they had de- t- depictions well documented. They were blown away when they found out the Dogon knew about the dog star. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like serious, th- yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Well, not only serious A, but then they said the other one you can't see, which right. was serious B. Mm-hmm. And then a step further, they had another one. They called it Poe. They said that there's another planet, and Poe means the tiniest little thing in their language. Mm. And they want to describe it. it. says all the men on the planet couldn't pick it up, but it's a small thing. So by the time we got telescopes in the 60s or 70s, when NASA looked at the perturbations of the planet and they saw Sirius A, they said, well, shoot, the way that it's moving, right. there's got to be another heavenly body acting on it. And right. lo and behold, the first binary solar system. And then they studied that for a while, and they said, but there's still something irregular about how those two bodies move. And then NASA discovered Sirius C, what the Dogon had been saying for at least 400 years. So when they asked the Dogon, you know, you go back and look at the writings of Marcus Grayo and other people had gone back to interview them. Um, they said that, no, uh, they didn't make it up. They didn't figure it out. They said it was the Nomos who told them. And they said this was an aquatic people who came from the Sirius star system. They came down and they were kind of aquatic, but they came out out of the water. And they they said, those are the ones who taught us agriculture, science, um, uh, engineering. They said that they got it from the Nomos and the Nomos came from the Sirius star system. Yeah. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It really is incredible. I love stories like that. That's why I want to. And that's their history. And you can't you can't discount their history. I mean, what do you. You can't just say, oh, well, it's a fairy tale or it's their myth. It's their legend. It's their history. It's like the Hindus and the Vamana. They've been around and, quite a bit. All yeah. of, it's these ancient cult. Like, you can't discount that heritage. Yeah, it's, and why would you make that? Yeah, especially when they knew about Sirius C. And yeah. Wow. That makes everything else. This is, at that point, when NASA confirmed it, and people went back and says, yeah, but you're not the first one to say it. Well, now, what else is there about that their their sacred knowledge that they knew that we don't know? Right. And where did they get? Right. And, you know, and now here we're currently having uh, congressional hearings on UAPs and UFOs. Mm-hmm. And now for the even the people who are doubtful, you know, you listen to people under sworn testimony, mm-hmm. under whistleblower protection saying, yeah, I, I was part of that program. Oh, yeah. You know, I, we have them and we've got bodies and we've got craft. So uh, even the Vatican issued a statement, you know, a few years ago that says that we do not hold it against God's divine providence that he could have created species elsewhere. Even the Vatican's got it had to sit back and mm-hmm. say, OK, well, yeah, we're not sure what to think about that. You know, the Pope said if he met one, what would he do? He said he probably well, he asked him if he, he said I'd ask him if he wanted to be baptized. So, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Everybody's got to get saved, even the grays and the reptilians. And (laughs) wow. I mean, what a paradigm shift that possibly is on our hands, though, here with the hearings going on, with the possibility of people stepping forward and maybe not even these first witnesses anybody yet. Well, no, people that are into this stuff like us. Well, that's true. It's because the same stuff that's been said. Grush, yes, there's stuff that's wrecked. Yes, we have, but Grush we said need he would proof. speak to people in the skiffs and give them the names of all the people that should, because they asked the question, 
who should we have in here next? Right. Private contact tractors, government, people within these organizations, who? He said, I'm not going to say it on on air in front in congressional hearings we can meet in a skiff afterwards in so a that skiff they don't is, go out and start popping all these people special compartmentalized where it's soundproof and you know there are no wiretaps no cell phones allowed into and he would give them the names of the people that were fighting against all of this coming out and the the allies and the people that were basically the enemies and were trying to ruin his career ruin his life threatened his life and admitted that there were people that were murdered and that he submitted to the proper channels. He wouldn't say it on congressional hearings, but admitted that I can give you the names of the people that I already have. You can go here and, and get this report. So all that's going to come out potentially maybe. We'll, we'll have more people other than Ryan Graves, David Grush, and, and um, David Fravor. And it's just this dam has broke I mean, it's well even more so than that because now even subsequent to that and those hearings and I agree with you a hundred percent. We're we're hearing things that I never thought I would hear, right? Uh, and even now, just knowing knowing that now senators are hearing if they provide that information in the skiff, at least now we know that he that they have a list of the corporations that are right. running these black ops. The right. names of some people, corporations. And so now it would be interesting to see if they do anything with it, realizing that we're still up against that same machine that Eisenhower warned us about, that, that oh, military yeah. industrial. And Truman. Kennedy. Yep. Yes. Governor Nguyen. Yep. You know, he said, yeah. And they have their own means of financing their own army, their own, you know, so they're going up against a formidable group that operates outside our government. Yep. And so Congress has no control over them. That's why they're pissed off. Congress is like, hey, wait, hold on a second. There's all these black op. Where's our money going? What are you doing with it? And why don't we know about it? And we're paying for it. And Congress is paying for these black budgets. And they're not allowed. They don't have the classification to look at where any of the money is being spent. You know, is it Raytheon and DARPA and all these groups that have these exotic materials? You know, the deep, deep you know, the underground bases and what they're doing under there. I just find it hard to believe that solid stuff like that's ever going to come out. Well, it's going to have to, it's going to have to. And even if they admit the smallest part, I'm going to run the mile with it. Like if they even say, yep, we've got a UFO, they've got everything then bodies. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing about this, that the moment that they give an inch, They've gave their whole hand away. Now it's just a dam that's broken. The Hopefully, whole thing has to come about. There's going to be a fight. You can't just be like, yeah, there's UFOs or, yeah, we have UFO bodies. We that's all more. we can tell you, public, for the good of your safety. <laughs> that will never fly. That will never fly. I think you're going to the, the uh, national security interests, if nothing else. Yeah. If we have private corporations that are off the books, that have craft that's able of, that it has the ability to disable missiles. Or interstellar or travel. Yes. Then and and even from an economic standpoint, you know, and this is one thing I think that Dr. Stephen Greer, he's been saying it for years and I'm looking forward to him saying more. But he says one reason why we don't. And he's got over 800 whistleblowers. Right. And he says with this is not hearsay. He's the disclosure project. Yeah, I've got his book. I've I've watched a lot of his documentaries. I, I just I'm fairly aware of his kind of like acumen of what he's been working on. What were you saying about 
Uh, yeah, hey, I've been meeting him since you know at the uh, LA conferences. He's released a, another video here recently mm-hmm. where he said, "Yeah, not only I've got 800 whistleblowers, and this is not secondhand information. These are people that worked in these programs and projects. Mm-hmm. People who." were there when they recovered crash retrieval and people who were there when they encountered real life, um, what he would call this is distinction between an alien or extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. He says aliens are the programmable life forms. And he says, we make those. He says that those secret agencies, they built those little four foot things and, you know, they're, they're programmable PF life forms. We've always and thought we- they were drones. The, the, the grays that are seem robotic or Android ish. They have no body parts, no gen or you know genitals or their mouths or they just don't seem. They seem part machine. They do. Well, he just he just. I think it was just yeah. In the last few days, he released another video. He, he was giving a talk, and one of his inside whistleblowers gave a firsthand account of when he saw one of these craft that landed, and it was one's got rivets and stuff on it. You know, it's manufactured. It's not extraterrestrial, but he says this guy who's given his, his witness testimony, he was in his truck. And he said, these three beings walked up to his truck and he said, he, he like opened the door and it knocked two of them over. And then he somehow, at some point he noticed like a little bump in the, the hill. There's like a little ravine. And, but then there was two lumps in the grass basically. But the, he said there was two people, two men that were under there, like in camouflage. And one of them actually had uh, like a, a box or a, a suitcase that had the control apparatus for these PLS, these programmable life forms. What? So this guy was saying, yeah, and you can watch, you, Stephen Greer, this came out over the weekend, I think. And so the guy's providing drawings and everything. Whoa. And he says that he knocked two of them over. And he says the way that they were moving, they got diagrams. He said it was almost, he said he was curious because when they were moving toward him, they were moving almost like in lockstep. Like their margin, mm, their unit. Yeah, yeah. That was a clue. And so when he did it, he knocked two of them over, and he says they're kind of like he said. Eventually, they they did get up, but it was like you would expect, like a robot or something, you know, to make certain movements to get up. Yeah. So there was that. But he said he started kicking the crap out of one of them, what? and he said it kicked it so much that it it it, it tore it open. He said it looked like flesh and skin, but he said when he when he kicked it hard enough, it opened. He says wires and circuitry. Oh my was goodness! Yeah, and that's when he saw these guys over there with the control box. What is this Project Bluebeam? Well, he would tell you that these people who are running the I didn't I don't know what the project was, but he said that was part of the plot. As long as they can keep this thing going where we can keep people scared of of quote unquote aliens, um then we won't want to know anymore. And and he said even some of them to the point according to Greer, he says that ninety nine point nine 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 to the nth degree of these people who think they experience aliens, to including the Stan Romanek video. He oh said, man. Hey, stop. He said those are staged. Mm. He said that these people even have done abductions. They did cattle utilizations yep. just to perpetuate this story. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up the Stan Romanek one because I've always had an issue with that one as far as like, what is like, do I believe it? Do I not believe it? Because didn't it end up that like, oh, he had child porn on his computer, but like, that's a very good way that if you want to make somebody not look official or you want to ruin their life. I'm sorry, but I know that's a good way of a, a move by some three-letter agencies of, like, slip that on your computer, make you look oh, like a— they uh, set people up all the time. I don't know for sure, because Sometimes but I watched that documentary on the way to Alaska, 
and that was before all that happened. I remember thinking, like, this is some wild stuff, like, because he talked about, like, his leg being healed, and he had gone to the doctor, and, like, his doctor was going to, like, take care of, like, a torn meniscus or something, but there was this, like, UFO encounter, and, like, they must have come down and healed him, and there were these people installing new siding on his house that didn't even work for a siding company, like, (laughs) all this crazy stuff, so I was like... When that happened, and then they're like, no, Stan Romanek got hit with, I, I think, again, like, indecent, like, child pornography images on his computer stuff. Like, then that story just is gone. Yeah. That was a Netflix documentary. Yeah. Like, that was up and running. Like, it, it's weird. It, I, was, I was watching it with great intrigue, too, trying to figure out which way to go. Because it was, I mean, the thing peeking in the window and then mm-hmm. seeing his house. Right. And you never know what to do with it. But now, you know, hey, stop it. Stop it, girl. <laughs> but you, now knowing that we actually, you know, it's not inconceivable that they do things to plant it, to manipulate us. Right. And if that is the case, then to what extent will they go when you're operating outside of the government, you know, when you actually will kill people like like Earl Schneider. You know, when he started talking about these deep underground bases, you know, and they tried to kill him and eventually they did. You know, I watched that Stephen, one too. Yeah. Yeah. I admire that man's heart, you know. I mean, he gave the ultimate sacrifice to reveal the truth. And I think he was dealing with not uh, aliens, but real extraterrestrials who were in that deep underground bunker when he went down there to find out what was going on. And Dulce, was, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, Dulce. Yep. Yeah, Ballet Dulce. Oh, yep. God. That's a, such a fascinating story. That's, that's – <laughs> It's so funny when I start thinking about some of these things because they seem really fresh in my mind. Dog right? fights like in the just sky yesterday, with But I'm listening to some of these stories and we're talking about them. I've known that for like a decade, if not We've longer. Known about Dolce forever. Like I've Over been digging into this stuff for a long time already, and it just seems really funny to think like. Oh, it was in a book. David from, Hatcher Childress had it in a talk yeah. about it in one of his books. From 20 years ago to now to these <clears throat> hearings and to the potential. Man, it's on the forefront. It's in the congressional record now. And one of the interesting things was getting them to actually say things during that hearing to get it on the record. Yeah, they were trying to pull it out of grudge. Not to say I've already, yeah, I've not already said that in an interview. You need to say it again so it gets on our record. Right. I thought that was important. He just kept referring, well, I've already been public with that. I've already given interviews. And they're like, we know. We need it for our record. It this has is to be being entered. filmed. David, this is the we have. David Hatcher was like that. He was being a little bit elusive. Well, David. it was more. I think it was more. It was kind of lost on him. I don't know if anybody else knows this or read this. I think he's a self-described uh, autist. Like he is autistic as David well. Grush. Grush. Right. It was coming about in his in some of the post-interview breakdowns in the congressional hearings and what have you. But I, yeah. I think he is a self-confirmed. So it might be something where it just doesn't make sense to him. Where he's like. Have already said this, like it. I don't get it, and they're like, no, but you have to enter it in here. We get that you already said it, but we can't pull that and make that record. Um, But yeah, it's just there's there's a lot of there are so many angles that are going to come from this, and if there really is this, uh, what we know is obstinance to wanting to release all this, or if you've been culpable in. Picking up cows and mutilating them to to perpetuate the myth that there are little Fear. green men out there that are going to harm you so that we can keep this a secret longer. Like, I think that's what people on a large scale are going to be really upset about if we ever get to that awareness level that we've been living in a, uh, a repressed times when we should be living in the future. Yeah, we should, we should have, have a lot of problems. Interstellar solved. travel. We should have free energy. We should have 
free electricity that be just, able to solve a lot of things. Yeah, hunger. I mean, you know, the basics. I had this over a hundred years ago. The Nikola uh, Nicholas Tesla's te- mm-hmm. technology. We should have had it, but yeah. You know, the same thing that happened with him, the Rockefellers, when, when, or you know, JP Morgan, mm-hmm. yep. they found out, put a meter on it and sell it. Mm-hmm. That's where he said, okay, they're not doing it. And the Bush family, story. all of the stuff, most of the stuff that Nicholas, that was taken from his labs, well, is one of the Bush family was the one that was over that inventory. Right. Ironically enough. At the hotel. But, yes. I mean, I think one of the ironies, and this is kind of a, you know, I, I agree with Dr. Greer. When he says one of the biggest problems we have about this technology being released and why it's being suppressed is because, you know, right now, geopolitically, you know, all of the goods and services from country to country, it's all based upon our commerce system is based on on the price of a barrel of oil. Yeah, man, that's what I've been saying. You don't have all these. Poverty literally goes away because you don't need to spend money on the oil to get things from places. That's what people don't understand. Like, okay, well, we have this free energy, but what does that mean? Well, it literally means that you can move anything around food, water. Or free, yourself. There will be no ghettos. There will be no slums in South America. There will be no – it's just, you know – but the problem is somebody's going to want to have power. It's just a humanistic tendency that we got to have somebody that's ruling or this. You know, we can't get to a point where we can just let everybody be. That's, well, that's way too problem. idealistic, and I would love to get there, but that's the problem. You're going to want somebody that's going to be like, I don't like what you're doing, and I'm going to tell you how to do it. I don't think we ever get to that point where we can just go live and let live, and you know how to do it, and here's your free energy, and go do it. Not under our current system no. of right. commerce. Capitalism Capitalism, you know, the, the the major problem of capitalism, and I remember I studied this in college. I, I had my economics class locked up for two days <laughs> because we were studying supply and demand curve and how that establishes price at equilibrium and things. Sure. And they were talking about how Harley Davidson makes a great motorcycle. But, you know, if the demand for a motorcycle goes up, but if you if uh, as the demand goes up and you increase the price, that's equilibrium. But if you restrict the supply Boom. of motorcycles then you can get a better price diamonds you just motorcycles whatever that's why diamonds scarcity. are so expensive it's a fake scarcity they have piles of diamonds throwing away well, designer is- handbags and shoes and clothes at the end of the year not giving that away to sh- like you don't see like dolce and gabbana or louis vuitton getting put to goodwill no. they burn that stuff they get rid of the overage they don't keep it even they just get rid of it mm-hmm that's the you know part of the problem of capitalism and why we I just engaged into a debate because that's the way that a price of a dollar is valued, supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And so basically I asked, so so you're telling me if everybody who wanted a dollar could get a dollar, a dollar would be worthless. But as long as we restrict the supply of dollars and everybody who needs one can't get one, then the, has money. So I said, you're telling me that there is a, a class of poverty that's baked into our economic system, period. Mm-hmm. Yes. No matter how badly people want to work, there's always going to be people who can't have it. Yeah. And, and that really disturbed me. And I said, that's and that's the best that poverty is, is a necessary part of capitalism. And so now, if you take that now to what we've got with a barrel of oil. Now, if you're president of ExxonMobil or Sun Oil, whatever, and the whole oil industry, and you find out that somebody is about to make free energy available, like mm-hmm. Nikola Tesla, what would you do to protect your empire? Silence. And so, 
Oh, I think there's further than that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of just kill this person, kill that person, kill this person, get rid of that person, bury that technology. Don't let that happen. And that's what Dr. Stephen Greer and others are saying. He says we have the technology, and he says he actually has the engineers, and they already have these units. He said it's about the size of a like a small window air conditioner that you can put in your house, and it will power your whole house. Sure. And it's full. And it's based on tech, uh, Tesla technology. But the, him, the scientist who have it, says that right now, until we come up with a geopolitical solution to how do you introduce this free technology without displacing the entire oil industry, mm-hmm. how do you now, how do you manage um, foreign exchange when now oil is no longer a factor? You know, how do you how do you do an OPEC in our relationship to all of the Arab countries when everything that we do is based upon, you know, can we have access to your oil fields? Well, you would have to have a bridge, Daryl, because you still have all of the ships and the freighters and all of the uh, semis are all powered on diesel and petrochemicals. So you would have to have this, I think, a pretty long transition period to be able to outfit vehicles that we have with this technology or like, what does that look like? That's what always, I mean, they're already taking trucks that were diesel or combustion engine and they're electric. They can flip that as soon as yeah. they want to. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the problem. They can literally say, we don't need oil tomorrow. You could use it for manufacturing no, purposes. You could use it as we a backup. Yeah. And you know what they did? They called them all back. You know, even when we had electric cars, you could only lease them. You couldn't buy them. Mm-hmm. Nobody could buy an electric car. Wait, and because you had them, you when? could only lease. This was back in the late seventies. There were electric cars, but you could only lease it. You could not purchase it. And then, for some strange reason, they recalled all the electric cars. And there's pictures of it on the internet. There's there's acres of a field where they put all the electric cars, uh, cars out there and smashed them. What? What? This was in the seventies, late seventies, early eighties. Do you it know? Happened. Do you know of anybody that had one of those cars, or if they have a picture of it, or I will have to Google well, we gotta, this. I've never heard of this. Oh, it ago, I was looking at. I saw some so special. Wild. Had done on it. I mean, I was around. I remember somebody in my community in Leavenworth had an electric car. It's the most ridiculous thing. It says, you know, why would I want an electric car? You know, and, and there was no infrastructure for it. But right. then there are pictures now on the internet you can find where people have gone out. I think it was somewhere in Arizona. It's just like acres and acres and acres of electric cars. They were all called back, and it, and you couldn't buy one if you had billions of dollars. They were not for sale. Somebody ever. bought them. Somebody bought all those cars to get. They, yeah, they had to pay the company. Was an oil company. Right. Probably well, they are, they're running their own experiments. Well, sure. Just like uh, Ford and GM. Uh, partnered up to buy all of the subway and train lines all through LA and then wreck them. And they basically just closed all those subway tunnels. There's a subway system in LA. They just bought up all the tracks and closed them. And so that's why LA has had such a bad problem with smog and traffic is because there is no public transportation system worth a damn there. Like New York city has got the subways. There's, you don't drive if you live in New York. Like in Manhattan, no, you ride this. Everyone, no, even in Chicago, you ride the L. Nope, like my Dude, cousins I don't drive much in Chicago here if I can avoid it. Yeah, but we have to drive around. We don't have any public. Tra- we the do. Buses, there are. There's a the little bit. It's not much, but garbage. not near like a big major city. No. Like an L or a subway. Like that's where it's at. I wish we had. We that need kind to have stuff. these. Where are these high speed trains, Daryl? Where are these? 
coast to coast, super cheap. I mean, we built the interstate system. Why can't we build these high-speed train systems to be able to go from, uh, you know, know, Cincinnati in 30 minutes and go party in Cincy or go go to a Browns football game or a Bengals game or go to Chicago to visit your family and you're there in 35, 40 minutes. Where the hell is... We're getting screwed, I just don't think there's... I don't know. Maybe they just don't see a big enough value in sending... Value? I mean, Jesus... Well, I you know, see the and, value. And, and, right. <laughs> I know. Well, I was trying to find how we could seg- segue and pivot. So your timing is perfect because uh, I wanted to get this into the conversation. It's kind of related and unrelated, but it's also another solution to this economic problem we have. And this is why we're at war in Ukraine mm-hmm. in part. And part of it is just the idea of capitalism versus other forms of cooperation. Um, you know, the idea of how, how capitalistic countries work versus maybe uh, communist countries. Yeah, because like, what's you know, the alternative? Is it communism? Because that sure now doesn't work. We know well, that doesn't model. work. Well, there's a model that includes uh, transportation, opening transportation corridors mm-hmm. that actually encourage a, a whole entirely different infrastructure of security for all of the nations involved. You know, right now we've got all the Brexit nations aligning and doing their thing, and everybody's running away from the dollar right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, you yeah. Know, we're becoming more and more isolated. Mm-hmm. But what happened was, you know, there was an organization, the Schiller Institute, under Lyndon LaRouche. And Lyndon LaRouche, he was, uh, I think he was President Nixon's economic advisor way back during the day, if you're old enough to remember that. But brilliant man, brilliant, brilliant. And he had, he's the same person who proposed and when implemented the SDI, the Star Wars Defici- uh, Defense Initiative, he 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 fathered that. But he had another proposal that he made that would actually create more peace and harmony between nations and encourage cooperation instead of competition. And he called it the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, they called it actually some people abbreviated called it the Silk Road. But basically, he wanted to take what they did back in the ancient days and throughout Asia. It's called the the Eurasian Land Bridge Project, but his proposal was that the United States and all of the G8 countries, for example, that they invest in infrastructure development and build high speed mag uh, maglev trains, mm-hmm. like say it crosses the arid deserts, it crosses through the tundras, through the the Antarctic, and all of these places that are otherwise wasteland become uh, a railway stations mm. for moving transportation that normally is moving by sea, mm-hmm. which could take eight weeks to get there and maybe half of your good spoil before it gets there. But now you can get it with a high-speed train traveling two or 300 miles an hour. And that every place in every different city where you build these train stations, every two or 300 miles, there's going to be a store, a gas station, uh, maybe a tour shop, mm-hmm. and an event, <clears throat> uh, you know, and all these communities develop. But well, it's important. like Europe. It's lifeblood. It's, it's a vascular it's, system. It's circulation. Well, just it's look building at the infrastructure of a living thing. To Germany, to that's what it is. Every little town has a little train station. But you can go through all the different everywhere. Cities. Yeah, everywhere. It's incredible. You know everywhere. You know what it costs to do that? I've done it. I've gone for two weeks on that. Yeah. It's not that expensive at all. His own reckoning at the end of the day to, to have a project like that, that goes all the way. Yeah. Okay. I see what you mean on the cost. It costs less than nothing, less than nothing to build. And guess what? Yeah. He presented it to the United States years ago. We turned it down. 
All of the European Union states shot it down. Guess who began and took up the Belt and Road Initiative about eight or nine years ago? Who? China, Russia, Ukraine. They are doing it. And now, even right now, because of the ridiculous conditionalities that the IMF places on countries to take a loan, says, yeah, we'll give you $300 billion at 19% oh, interest. God next three generations but now china says yeah i'll give you that same deal at two percent interest yeah and so african nations are doing business with with russia mm -hmm. and china and and they are building these railway stations and so when you get to a country border you know now maybe from taiwan to wherever the next station is they're not trying to cooperate i mean to compete they said okay they're training each other because now we got goods going back and forth i can get my goods i can export mine and now we're cooperating and because we're cooperating yeah. i'm Dude. really interested going to war with you i don't want Bingo. to kill you I that's the other thing too. Other nations are doing it, and we are not doing it in the West. Symbiosis. It, interesting how we're at war with every single nation or province that wants to get away from the World Banking, the IMF, and the World Banking cartels. The U.S. back as dollar. soon as they go out, whether it's Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, we they said we're going after these seven countries. Well, why, why are we going after these? Well, I don't know. They got a lot of oil, and they're not really doing what they're told. They're starting their own banking system. Saddam Hussein banks. was trying to get off of yep. the, the IMF and the world banking system. I mean, the IMF, you know, we learned about it in an anthropology class when I was in, in college. And, and basically, like, the root of all the issues in Africa, all of these places like Guatemala and, and the people that are rising up and creating these crypto systems and getting off the grid is because of all of the poverty. All of the World Bank moves in, says, we're going to take your gold, your diamonds, your oil, your minerals, and then we're going to give you all this money. And it's all a loan. And then what the corrupt dictator in that country, whether it's the Congo or whatever it is, right. they get all the money. Then they give the the spoils and the little the little crumbs to their people. Well, it's a and big, they're literally it's a big enslaved. Feedback. Am I wrong about loop. that, Daryl? Is that accurate? I mean, that's how it works, right? It's a big feedback loop. Absolutely right. You know, and a lot of people aren't aware because the mainstream media doesn't cover it right. intentionally. But yeah. right now, you know, there's only two hundred and something countries on the planet. 140 over 140 countries are on board with the Belt and Road Initiative. The United States, Great Britain, um, Canada, these are some nations who are not. All Capitalism the... versus cooperation. Jesus. But it's, even... it's to me, and... it's beyond capitalism, Daryl. And, and I'm not a proponent or, or but like I want what's best for the planet and peace. I think it's, but uh, yeah. It, it's beyond capitalism as a system. It's crony offshore banking cartels that aren't playing by even the the rules of capitalism. It's crony capitalism where they are literally just enslaving people through debt. Just every dollar that's market. printed in that way, yeah. every dollar that's printed is someone else's debt. They can pull back the money supply. Yeah. That's what they're doing now. That's why they raise interest rates. You yep. can't buy a home. Your your mortgage rate now, when I bought my house, it's like 2.5%. Now it's like 7 8%. It's incredible Because they're right pulling now. that money supply out. Yeah. That's when they can control and 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 the biggest money grab in history was during COVID. All these Three billionaires, trillion. just all this money, just gets siphoned out of the middle class and the poor. Yep. And you know, it's 
capitalism a, is part of it, but there's the, just the banking system and how money's created is literally the root, and it is a Babylonian ritual. Like you can look Fiat back currency. at the history. Yes, absolutely. You can look back to ancient Babylon, and they were they had that shit rocking and rolling in Ur and all these different cities where. You know, it it was like a part of a magical ritual as well. Sure. They would like do these ceremonies where essentially like the money system is like this ritualized way to well, look enslave at it to today. People. Look at it's it today. It's the same fucking system, bro. People are slave to money are slaves to money today. The system of it, the ritualistic nature of it, the presentation of it. We all are to a certain degree. We need a certain amount of income, finance, whatever to Buy your food, groceries. You need enough to pay your not bills, have, have to worry about I'm talking where your about next the egregious come. levels of mm-hmm. it. Like, like we're saying, like three trillion traded hands during COVID. Well, it sure didn't say, go to the poorest of the poor, Daryl. It went to the really wealthy. We lost six billion dollars. Just magically disappeared to your Ukraine. Oh, we counting build, error. We could build that highway, that rail speed system. For six billion dollars, and that was just—we don't have the basics of what we what we need in America. Six billion dollars could change so much in the inner cities of Chicago, the South Side of Chicago, the inner city of Toledo and Columbus, and and all these places. It's just mind blowing. It's just it's just watching funny money be yeah spent, and it's the whole thing of like if you don't spend it, you don't get it in your budget next year. So spend, spend, spend. Oh, I know, and ask for more next year. Mm Hmm. Well, you know, the irony of that is, is that the um, I was watching the committee, subcommittee hearings, Senate hearings, congressional hearings just last weekend talking about that. And they were grilling some people who have fiscal responsibility over the the, the budget. Yeah. And they were grilling them about the, the, the Department of Defense being like 15 percent of the entire GDP budget. Oh, yeah. And it said year after year after year. The uh, Department of Defense is the only agency that has yet to pass an audit in, mm. since audits began. And year after year, and they said, not only do they have they still not passed an audit, but they ask for more money every year and we okay. give it to them. And But 65% of their budget is unaccounted for. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give them more money. Right. And so where are they going? And so I, I enjoyed listening to AOC and, you know, all of these, even Marjorie Green. I'm not a big Marjorie Green fan, but I love to hear her grilling these guys. But it's the same narrative. It's almost like you get these, you know, appointed officials and it's like, yeah, we just don't. Yeah, we don't know where the money went. Well, we'll they're get all back unelected. To it's literally a they're, black box. And they're all unelected. It's because it's so many secret compartmentalized. We can't acknowledge this. So. 65 percent of our budget literally is like you got to trust me it's trust me yeah, bro or i'm doing well with your 65 percent trust whoop, me or whoopsie it's an accounting error our bad we were going to give them six billion dollars anyways we'll just yeah, make the we're just going to give them so next busy. year's budget now it's fine no, we're, we're, we're living we're living in such bizarre times dude it's, it's kind of like the billions of dollars that disappeared on 9-11 Mm-hmm. Oh, they just oh, happened to be housed. The records were housed in buildings. Trillions. Seven. All that gold. Yeah. Trillions. Yeah, I thought it was like two trillion. 
Yeah. It was was that the building that no plane hit, but it still fell at free building fall seven? Speed? Yeah, Tower Seven's a yeah. mystery. And they were keeping all the SEC documents that could have prevented the collapse in 2008. They were uh, the SEC and all they were researching all of this corruption at that point leading up to and then that building went supposedly that's where all those investigations and that paperwork yeah. so then nothing was fixed they just kept going until they blew up the yeah. economy in 2008 yeah we did we never ended up finishing those investigations because it was all housed in tower seven lucky number seven. Oh my god yep. daryl this has been a I roller coaster. People don't know. I still ask people to this day, how many how many buildings fell on 9-11? I'm still surprised about how many people say the Twin Towers. There's mm-hmm. so few know that yeah, number three. building seven fell that night. No plane hit it. It had a fire on the 14th floor. Yeah. But it collapsed in its own footprint. Mm-hmm. After, after there was a recording of Giuliani explaining what happened. He says, well, what happened there, uh, Mayor Giuliani? He says, well, it had a fire and this out on the floor. And so we decided to pull it. Mm-hmm. We, you know, I was EOD. He said that. He, we decided to pull it. That's an e- explosive ordinance term. That's after you acquired the building, yeah. pull the cord. Yeah, I, I, I did. I had EOD. I had EOT teams reported to me. Wow. And so you use that term after you've wired something for demolition. Then you pull it. You pull the problem. Daryl, Daryl, we're familiar with the EOD. Uh, we we do we help out the EOD Memorial, the folks out at uh, Elgin Air Force Base every year. We do the live stream for all of the fallen EOD uh, school members from the past, and their families come and and then we live stream it to all the people that can't. So yeah, we have uh, much love for the folks with uh, in in the EOD community. You gotta have some kahunas to be in that field. Oh, dude, those guys are wild. Jeez, we love talking to the. We work, we'll work with some of the captains, and they're they're powerful dudes. When you're interacting with them, there's something there. Yeah, there's something in their eyes. I haven't met them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they're not lightweights. Yeah, and those guys they only get one accident. You know, no, absolutely. You no. Yep. Right. Yep. I mean, fighter pilots and them. I Makes don't, me not think sure. of uh, Blown Away with Tommy Lee Jones and Jeff Jeff Bridges at, you know, that old film of setting the traps and all the bombs and mm-hmm. stuff and that whole game. Like, dude, no, I'm not. No, don't put me in that suit. I ain't going out there like the Hurt Locker. I, I have ADD. I will pull the wrong wire. <laughs> yeah, you would not be. I will not make it. Big, Justin, this is not for you. Oh, my here's God. A, in, here's a coloring book. Uh, ammunition company. I mean, uh, we we would store ammunition, and oh. so I we so these arsenals. And part of my job was to go out there and inventory to make sure all the howitzers were there and all the small arms and the primers, everything separate, everything from the small arms up to 155 millimeter projectiles. Easy, you know. And like even them, you know, playing around in these ASPs, ammunition supply points, is no fun, you know. But in that context, I also had EOD teams where I sent to deploy. If somebody had a dud someplace or, you know, or there was a bomb threat. Yeah. Yeah. Guys were, they were a different breed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No doubt. Daryl, you really have lived like a million I know, different I like, Jesus, you, man. You're blowing my brain you. right now. This has ping-ponged around in a conversation of just everything that I would have loved to have had in a conversation. Yeah. It's been and, and I want to start inching towards wrapping this up, but I really, really can't. We have to talk a little bit about Chaga. 
and some of the things that you were sharing oh, with yeah. us before we came on. And if we have time to talk a little bit about Shungite, which is an incredible crystal that I've been working with for years and I have a few of my own, I've given to gifts to people. Uh, but we really connected over that. And uh, first of all, Chaga Mushrooms... What is the deal, and why is it such an unbelievable medicine? Well, again, I think scientists are still trying to figure out why it's so amazing. We've we've they've discerned some of its properties, but again, because it's it's herbal, it's it's natural. You know, the FDA and all those other guidelines they won't approve it, but they they can't dispute it at the same token. And so, I kind of shared that this is kind of what I'm talking about. I mean, I take this in a bottle. It's just a liquefied form of uh, shaga, and the shaga is it's this is a mushroom extract, and I get the one from Siberia. Earthborn. This Earthbornproducts.com, um, and this is what shaga is. This is a mushroom, but it grows on the side of birch trees that only, dude. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this is about a pound and a half chunk, and some people, if you want to do it naturally. You know, they just take these chunks and they just you can you can put it like in a um, in a crock pot and just kind of slow cook it. Just yeah. break up a few chunks and then you can make shaga tea yeah. out of it. It's slow cook it with, and it's better to do it with spring water, never tap water, but spring water works better or purified water. But that's what it takes. Like this chunk here, it takes is it grows on the side of a tree, but it takes 25 to 40 years to mature wow. to get like and the way you know it's mature is the the shaga falls off to the ground and the birch tree falls over and dies. And then all that good stuff, all the nutrients are now um, in this chunk. You know, and the way it was discovered, I think it was back in, I can't remember what the years was. It was like early in the, or late in the 18th century. There was a doctor, medical doctor, that used to travel around from village to village and there were plagues and things like that. But he had noticed that certain places you know, when there were just illnesses and diseases that were spreading around, he did notice there was a few places where he'd go through and nobody was sick like they were in the other villages. And so what he had found, but started talking to him, they found that uh, he said basically Native Americans, you know, he says everybody in the city, they was drinking the Queen's tea and all that stuff. You know, this was back in that period of time, even in the colonies of the United States. But he says in the poorer villages, they couldn't afford the king's tea or the queen's tea. But the Native Americans had showed them how to make tea out of shaga. Okay. And so he had found out, he says that was the one thing he could see that was in common to the villages that were not getting ill. And so this was written in a diary of his, and this is how we got a record of it. And so he started, he kind of recognized the health, some health benefits, and it mm -hmm. kind of boosts the immune system. So now, fast forward to where we're at today. Uh, I happen to know people personally, and again, you can't make health claims. You're not supposed to. Right, right. But it's where this cured me or resolved me of arthritic pain. Uh, I used to get up with, yeah, I used to have stiff joints. Well, when I'm taking my shot, I just take a shot of it every day or maybe every 12 hours, gone. Um, my ex-wife, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer. They were going to remove 10 inches of her colon. I said, hey, look, I gave her two bottles of shaga. I said, just take it every eight hours just to keep it in your body working. She says, look, I don't think that's going to work. They've got the x-rays. They did an MRI. They even took a, a, a biopsy. It's cancer. It, you know, it's fortunately it was benign, not malignant. But I said, just try it. Um, five or six weeks later, when she went in for the uh, operation, 
they poked her stomach five times just to do the pre-op to make sure everything's was going to go like they had envisioned. And uh, they couldn't find any cancer. And that was 11 years ago. I just saw her last weekend. She's still cancer-free. Amazing. Shot. My mother, she was diabetic. I say was. I sent mom some shaga. I said, mom, just take it three times a day. Within, I think, of six to eight weeks, she went from shooting insulin to managing it just on her diet. And now, uh, for the last three or four years, she is not diabetic. Very cool. Insane. Dang. So I would recommend shaga. It should be just part, you know, and it's got so many great properties. Um, and they think that they say that there's, uh, from a natural herbal standpoint, it's got more antioxidants than any other plant mineral on the planet. Mm, nice. And those antioxidants, which, which is what attach to all the free radicals that are floating in your body and flushes them out. And so when you have uh, free radicals that can attach and become cancerous, well, if if your shaga is putting the antioxidants and pushing them out, then then diseases don't live in your body. And something about that mushroom, I forget what percentages it is, but it's got a lot uh, in common with human DNA. So basically, right, everything you that go. you damn, we talked uh, about a little bit about this. We've been covering we've been covering mushrooms from the beginning of our show. They always pop up. Very mushrooms and fungus in the upper atmosphere. Biological mushroom craft, like all these mushroom computers, whether telekinesis of mushrooms, uh, the mycelium network. So, you know, we're for whatever reason, there's a synchronicity, and I hate using that term, but it is strange. It is is. that these mushrooms are always, always popping up. And, you know, we're proponents of psychedelic mushroom research for healing and for all these different things. But aside from the psychedelic mushrooms, like chaga, lion's mane. Mushrooms in general. Fungi was not named inappropriately. They are (laughs) fungi. They are great. And they're closer to human beings than plants. Right. Which is so weird. I think the largest living organism on the planet is a fungi network. Bob. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. His name's Bob. <laughs> and, and this is his name? Yeah. I we need to connect it has him. a name. We need to connect him with Justin E. Yep. Our buddy on, uh, on, uh, the has another front. podcast called Cryptos of the Corn. And uh, oh. they have another podcast, um, Flying Mushrooms, that they do with the guys from Killed Mockingbirds. Yeah, but he is a... He's a biologist. Biologist by nature. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows what he's talking about in regards to way more in-depth than I do on, on say, mushrooms or uh, anything of that nature. But You'd love yeah. to talk to him, Daryl. He, he, you would you definitely know, am, get a kick out of him. Yeah. I got my lion's mane going. Earth nice. Products has got I got my turkey tail for my immunity. Yes. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm a shagaholic. I got my cordyceps for shagaholic. energy. Shagaholic. <laughs> I need some of that right there, cordyceps. That would be great. They just expanded their product line. So they just began offering all these other ones just in the last year or so. Okay. So, so, I mean, I take my Shaga every day. And then just depending on where I'm at, I may take a shot of this and maybe a shot of that. Yeah. But always, you know, the Shaga is my baseline. And so there's that. And then I'm also a big proponent of, uh, I take, I've been taking Claudial Silver for several years. Oh, okay. This happens to be Billy Carson's version from the Forbidden Knowledge. Yeah. Take a shot of that every day with my Shaga. And then I also take uh, his uh, his uh, Claudial Gold. So, and again, the silver, because it, it attaches to a lot of those medical particles, flushes them out of your body. 
and the colonial gold because like the king's gold, you know, the word is, is that's also what the pharaohs used to use. You know, they would ingest gold. And then I think my secret sauce, uh, I wish that more people would do, is this. What is that? What is that? Skate liver oil? Like a skate, yeah. like a skate, a ray, a stingray, like a skate? Yeah. Yeah. From, yeah, from cartilage fish. Yep. It's nasty. But I tell you what it does. It, there was I listened to an interview several years ago, and it was uh, Dr. Pete Peterson being interviewed by Terry um, Cassidy. But he was talking about again. We're looking at the science of the pineal gland. Oh, and him say this, and he says, if you really want to know, one of the best things a human can do to decal, if you want to improve your spiritual connection or your spiritual orientation, you know that's why the Hindu and the Indies they got that dot. Yeah, represents. In the court of the, the Vatican, you see a big old acorn in the oh, yeah. courtyard. Wait, what, oh, what, yeah. What's this it's for? Is that to just... It's to amplify your pineal gland. Third it's eye. to help them kind of like focus That's that That's what energy. a bindi is. I did not know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a representative of that, of, you know, the core of a human being. I can feel it right here, right now, all I the time. I can, too. <laughs> gland sits right between the two halves of the brain, but it's right there in the it. center. <laughs> And it looks like a little acorn. And, you know, that's why this acorn is apparently sitting in the courtyard of the Vatican. Mm-hmm. It's like two acorn. But no, it's not an acorn. It's a pine- it's a pineal gland. And that's a human being's spiritual orientation. That's your connection with whatever you would want to call divine or your God. Dimensions, soul. higher dimensions. So, but the problem we have here in this culture is we've got a, a few challenges. A bit, of course, the deliberate plot to dumb us down and keep us uninformed and ignorant in the matrix, literally, is that now they add insult to injury that they put fluoride in our drinking water. There you go. The fluoride calcifies your pineal gland. They put fluoride in your toothpaste, in our toothpaste. That fluoride calcifies your pineal gland and plus puts calcium in other places through your body. So to the extent that now we're told to brush our teeth twice a day with fluoridated toothpaste and drink, you know, there are countries that have outlawed fluoride, mm-hmm. but not here. In the West. Even though it's not been proven conclusive, it does anything for cavities. But if it shuts you down here, well, okay, that's the objective. So I don't, I don't brush with fluoride. And I would challenge people, if you don't believe what I'm saying, get your tube of Colgate or whatever out and read the back of it. And it'll say just to use a pea-sized clump of it on your toothbrush and then it says do not swallow mm-hmm. yep but what was interesting is what it says after that it says what happened what to do if you swallow it, it says if swallowed it didn't say call your doctor it didn't say go to the emergency room it says if swallowed call poison control right same That's ingredients in their face and you're drinking on your tooth and i know for a fact that fluoride is in the water because back in the day in my 20s when i was getting really involved into figuring a lot of this stuff out i called our water department here in columbus ohio and i said who is in charge of controlling number one is it true that there's fluoride in the water yes absolutely the lady on the phone was like not holding anything back Whoa, i said great yeah. who controls that and who actually puts it in there she said the department of homeland security does after 9-11, they've taken control of every major cities. So if you have any questions about your water supply in your city, you have to talk to Homeland fucking Security. Bro, yes. Sounds like a Ra's al Ghul move. It was not hard for me to get this person on the phone. I can't remember how. I literally just called like the offices of of the Franklin County Water, uh, the Columbus City Water Division, and was like, hey, I'm curious, who is in charge of our water system? 
the Department of Homeland Security is. Okay, tell you, and a they're the ones that put fluoride in the water. Okay, I say two interesting points. One, I'm like a camel in that I don't drink a lot of water. I no, don't, don't like to drink a no, lot of water. Probably why. When I grew up in the sticks and we drank well water, I drank a lot of well water. But one, I don't drink a lot of water. I try to drink other fluids. So there's that. Two, my wife is into the Ayurvedic type of toothpaste. We get some toothpaste that I know doesn't have fluoride. It used to be like the charcoal, like your whole charcoal, mouth be yeah. black. Now it's some Ayurvedic paste. It's great. But I know there's no fluoride. Like she's not into that either. So while you're saying that, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, I can feel this, like, vibration in the middle of my forehead. Like, what's going on there? Like, is that what's happening with some, like, a, a wide swath of certain populations that get fluoridated? Like, they just, they can't, like, yeah, they, they just, IQs level go down. Critical thinking is what mainly. I don't know what really the effects redu- of fluoride It reduces are, critical so thinking is from that what, what I is? understand. I don't know. Right, Daryl? You're right. You know, I mean, if you if you're microdosing mushrooms or something, for example, you know, well, if you got a decalcified pineal gland, you don't need to do any of that. Yeah. You know, the human body is the perfect pharmacy. It makes everything that your body needs to include THC. Mm-hmm. If you want to go something, there's nothing that your body can't do, uh, providing that it's in some reasonable form of health. Right. And your your pineal gland is that is is recognized through all cultures and produces the DMT produces yeah. DMT you don't have to trip you want to you want to astral travel you want you want you want to go you know you want to travel and go to travel 6000 miles to go check on a friend in the astral plane well to the extent that you have a healthy pineal gland you know basically you're you're almost limitless you know in terms of just like the matrix you just okay load 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 the program what you want to do but you have to have a, a functioning with that, with your uh, uh, ethereal body, your your spiritual self. You know, they people say that are you are you a physical person having a spiritual experience? Are you a spiritual person having a physical existence? Well, to the extent that you can decalcify your pineal gland, you can do remote travel, remote healing. You can do probably telepathy. But when that gets calcified. To the extent that you have calcification, then you limit your potential, and you can be persuaded. You can be, um, you can be herded. You can be bamboozled. Mm. You know, and so, uh, and we have been dumped down. That probably is a good reason why Homeland Security is in charge of keeping your pineal gland sedated. You know, it's the equivalent of okay, that's those are the agents. You know, of the, of the matrix. Why would they, of all people, be have anything to do with your water supply instead of the EPA or terrorist. the FDA? Terrorist, Daryl. Islamic terrorists that are it trying is, to, you know, poison our water supply. It, That's what she told me on the phone. It sounds like the age-old problem of projection. The Department of Homeland Security is projecting what terrorists would do onto us by doing it onto us. And then the city of Columbus handed it over. That's what I'm saying, though. Because like, guess we don't what? want to save you from this, so we'll just we do it to get you for it. We get funding from the federal. Each state gets payoffs. Uh, Jesus. Gets money on the back end to constantly hand over states' rights to the federal government. You know, we may never be able to stop they and their plan, but for those that are astute and aware, you know, I'm I'm giving you a, a big clue here. Yeah, I mean, if you can handle, I mean, you can get it in capsule form as well. There's capsules. Sure. This is like orange flavor, but it, it's it's pretty nasty. Uh, there was a time I was a vegan and, you know, being vegan and, uh, but you're drinking this solution. But again, you just get a syringe. I just take it. I just put it straight to the mouth. Some people will put it in orange juice because it helps dilute the the taste and it's palatable. But the key thing is, is if you're just beginning and if you've not been, 
if you've been a regular consumer of toothpaste products and uh, fluoridated drinking water, then I would say just do this. Then this is like with David Wilcock. He was in that interview mm-hmm. back then with Dr. And Peterson, but he says, just take it, you know, just do a treatment every day or maybe twice a day, every 12 or 14 hours and just do that for like uh, two weeks. And then that will begin to dissolve that pineal. I mean, that calcium off your pineal gland. And you probably one of the first things you're going to notice is probably lucid dreaming. You know, that's a sign that you're not mm-hmm. tripping, but that, okay, that you're making that connection and it's kind of like reawakening. Right. But not not only do you have the benefit of now a decalcified pineal gland, but it helps dissolve calcium deposited throughout your body. Right. Mm-hmm. It begins to shut out too. So there's another overall health benefit. So like kidney so, stones or anything like aches, that. Aches, pains, joints, yeah, bone spurs, things like that. You know. Wow. Yeah, there's no downside. There's no downside. Yeah. And he said uh, out of the things that, and he's a scientist, but he said out of the things that he's tried and was familiar with, this was the best thing that he could recommend in order to really affect the healthy, uh, a healthy pineal gland. Yeah. Um, skate level oil. Now, well, along with that, that. I should say I should give us a caveat too, because like me, uh, I haven't brushed with fluoride toothpaste in years, but I, I use uh, baking soda and hydrogen peroxide. I just put water in my mouth, a little bit of hydrogen peroxide and baking soda and brush it out. So, other people, there are Tom's toothpaste and there are other yeah. toothpaste. Yeah. Bird's seed, I think, has a toothpaste that's got no fluoride. So now there's a lot of other choices. So I would be remiss if I didn't offer this without it saying, okay, what the some alternatives that are available out there. If yeah. you didn't want to do this, you know, just the, the, the main thing would be as much as practical, stop ingesting fluoride i mean and it's called called poison control because the same ingredients that are in your toothpaste is in rat poison that's why it says called poison control it's a poison and it does you know if you would look up the ingredients or even just ask your common sense mind why does this tube of toothpaste not say call a doctor or a physician it says called poison control that's why obviously you're consuming a poison yeah the other thing i would add to your point you don't drink a lot of water but um this is like my water thermos, and uh, you probably can't see this very well. Like these are some shungite oh, rocks. Oh yeah. So anytime I drink water, I'm drinking water that has been treated with, like this is a, a itty bitty chunk of noble shungite. Wow, that's beautiful. Shungite is only found. There's only one deposit of this on the entire planet. And that's in in Russia. Um, and it's the only place you can find shungite. The, the scientists who discovered the properties of shungite, I think this was in the late 80s, but they received the Nobel Peace Prize for the properties of discovering this mineral. It purifies water, which is why you want to keep it in all your drinking water, and it leaches antioxidants into the water. So there's nothing better you could put in your body. And there's a, a few other amazing properties. Shungite is, the noble shungite is like 90, 95% carbon-based. But it's the only mineral known to man that actually purifies water and leaches antioxidants into it. So and there's another, uh, another amazing properties. But to the extent now you're drinking healthy water, now your cells are actually hydrating the way they're supposed to. You know, the problem with most people because of pollution in their air and the junk food that we drink and the lifestyles we live, 
our our cells of our bodies are supposed to look like nice little plump little like grapes. Yeah. But because of what we're dealing with, they look more like a raisin. Yep. But you put this in your body and you some of this other healthy stuff, then your cells are going to start looking more like that grape. And now they're going to be operating more efficiently yep. with all of the nutrients thing passing through in the, in the cells functioning the way that they should. And now you're optimizing your own health. And you're going to have results if you do blood work, for example. Take a blood test. If you start taking any of these things, I would challenge anybody, particularly with the shungite. My first experience was 60 days after taking the shaga. 60 days after taking the shaga, I used to take an annual exam or quarterly exam where I work. Every three months, we have a commit to be fit program where we'd go give a blood sample, do some push-ups and sit-ups. you know, And then a few days later, you get the test results with your good and your bad cholesterol sure. or antioxidants. ADL. Well, I had been healthy all along, but my nurse, she said, like like seven years into this, she said, well, Daryl, you're still healthy, you know, but you need to probably start working out more or you should, you, you should quit smoking, you know, if you're still smoking because, you know, you're not bad, but you're not, you're heading gradually south. Well, when I started taking the Shaga, I found out about it at a conference in LA. I said, well, okay, let's try it. So when I went back for my next exam, all seven areas that I had, I'd been getting measured. No, eight of the areas that I had been getting these measurements for, and they had been gradually kind of declining. Not un, not unhealthy, but just on the decline because I'm aging. But all seven or eight of them were higher than they were the entire seven years before, wow. and that was the only thing I changed. That was the only thing I changed, and I got it. I got it in blood. <laughs> I got it in the test results. Hey, so that's I'm the there. result. I'm with you on that one. As far as the shaga goes, I'm down with that. Like, <clears throat> I'm gonna have a small like in, in apothecary going on on my got, desk here. I shortly. got hit the shung. I bought a book about shungite. Yeah, and learned about the Russian deposits and the antimicrobial, bacterial, I fungal. Know any of that about and any putting of that. it in your water. And so I have a bunch of stones at home. I need to start putting in my water again because I was doing that. I was like all on board with shungite forever. And our my big pyramid crystal sits up in our kitchen. It like holds space there. And I'll get it down every now and then if I feel like I got some weirdness around. You know. Know, it, it's an unbelievably magical substance, and it's not it something you can completely quantify either. But I, there's something to it. From uh, my yeah, I want to get some. I'm down. Yeah, I had a five gallon dispenser, automatic dispenser, five gallon barrels, or where do you get them from? But I put shungite. I mean, I put shungite rocks in it. Just put it maybe six to eight in there, and so. And I never would drink tap water. So even all of my water, I, I, I've got enough that I put in there, too. So anytime I'm drinking water, I'm drinking water that's going to rehydrate me. It's going to put more antioxidants in my body, and it's going to be purified water on top of purified water. And if that's not enough, I also charge my water at 342, I mean, 432 hertz. Nice. <laughs> I got 432 hertz discs that Michael Lee Hill made. Michael Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm one of his biggest fans, yep. man. I I get the first disc. I, you know, Mike, you know, because I gotta have it. <laughs> but I got one of his big 432 hertz discs sitting underneath my water bottle that's got my shung guide in it. So yeah, I, I'm playing. I'm, I'm, I'm covering all the bases. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you are. love it, man. Daryl, this has been incredible. We're gonna start wrapping this baby up, putting it to bed. I wanted to. You know, let everybody know where we can find you if they want to connect with you and then also 
leave us with some final words for, for everyone at home. Well, again, I, I don't have my uh, radio show anymore, but you can find me on Facebook, Daryl Nichols, Daryl W. Nichols. I also have a Facebook page still, Bishop Daryl Nichols on my Facebook. I'm also on uh, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and um, TikTok. All right, so you can look me up there. I'd be glad to have you come along. Uh, got some other things coming up. Uh, matter of fact, this Sunday, I'm also a member of the International Peace Coalition, the same group that I said that created this, um, the uh, what I call the, the, the Silk Road or the uh, Belt and Road Initiative, mm-hmm. the organization. Well, this Sunday, we're staging, we're, we're going to do a demonstration at the United Nations for peace to bring the war. Uh, to an end in the Ukraine, at least bring attention to it. So we're staging a demonstration at the United Nations this Sunday from one to four. We have got seven other places here in the United States where other uh, sister groups are going to be holding demonstrations. And actually, we've got 14 other nations that are participating on that day as well to bring attention so we can uh, stop this, um, this madness this march toward war for some of the reasons we just talked about that yeah. most people don't have to do. I believe Robert Kennedy Jr. will be, he's one of our spokesmen as well as Gerald Salente. Hmm. And we have a lady who's running for mayor or for senator of New York. Um, she's going to be joining us. So if you're in New York this Sunday, please look us up. You can find us on the website is uh, humanityforpeace.org. Is that's our organization. We're making four demands at the UN for full disclosure and to implement peace talks. Because right now, the the UN and the Ukraine, our position, if you're in the West, is we don't even want to talk to the Soviet Union. We're telling right. Zelensky, don't even talk about peace. I know, which is crazy. So we we could have ended it in in March, is, from what it's what's it's coming crazy. out now in March of 2022, a few weeks after they were coming to the table to speak peace, and the American government stepped in and said, "No, nah, let's let's hey, then talk them out of talk to talk them out of these peace treaties." And we've been Bombing. meddling, man. Yeah, we've been meddling other, that's over there. That's a whole other rabbit hole. But but, we're poking the bear. Yeah. You know, and I think Kennedy wow. said, maybe it was someone else, but he says, anybody who would make peaceful revolution uh, impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. Mm. So, Oh, absolutely. If you can't be peaceful, that's it's got to get violent. That's, that's a great quote. Yeah. So if we can't talk about it, we're not giving them another option. And now we're talking about nuclear, limited nuclear strikes, and nobody wins that game. Sweet oh, Jesus, we do that. That's why I've been watching The Watchmen lately. That's why you ever watch that, but that's the end of that movie. It's yep. like they do nuclear strike just so everybody on the planet starts to get along. Terminator. Like they literally engineer peace by wiping the planet with nukes. And then they're like, hey, everybody at least is going to bond together over this now. Like we did after 9-11, kind of a similar But thing. on a global, worldwide right. scale, not just the U.S., not just a European, yeah. not just a Russian, not just a whatever. You want global peace? Nuke everybody, and then everybody will get along together. It's like, God, Jesus, that's man, that's a sick reality that we're heading towards. I think it would happen. You know, Oppenheimer movie just came out. Yeah. Right. We, that's weird, right? There's yeah. bombs. Weird Doomsday clock is two minutes to midnight, you know? Not even that. It, it, was 90, it was 90 seconds to midnight in February before the war broke out. Yeah. Before, it was 90 seconds. Yeah. And so God knows where we are right now, but basically, in your abs- I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say it because so many people have never heard of the Doomsday Clock yeah. or the Board of Scientists. But right. here they're saying in all of our rec- record of keeping since, since dropping Hiroshima and Nagasaki, humanity has never been so close to its own annihilation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. and most people don't 
blissfully unaware, blissfully unaware. And we can't be, you know, it's not like it didn't happen. Hiroshima and Nagasaki happened. We're finding now, even archaeologists are finding that there's places in the Earth's core where the strata where there's vitrified vitrified glass and vitrified sand that somewhere in a remote past, it seems, another civilization did just that. Mm -hmm. And we were victim maybe four or five resets ago where we did it. Right. They're saying that maybe that's what happened on Mars. If there was a civilization yep. on Mars, absolutely, they blasted themselves out of existence. And they came so, here. The Martians yeah. supposedly came here. That's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Where we do? We, wow, Daryl, you next are time, the Darryl, man. We got the next time you're on, which has to happen. Guests. Yeah. Jesus. All right. Good. Daryl. Gravy. Thank you so so very much, my brother. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, my Incredible God. conversation. You're wonderful. All right. Jeez. And I just want to tell you, fans, you know, don't be silent. Don't be silent. In just two minutes, I want to conclude with this because, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King had said something once, you know, and he had asked three questions. He said, will the world ever forget? You know, he said, well, number one, he says, was Albert Einstein right? We're talking about Oppenheimer. You know, Albert Einstein was a friend of Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer actually came behind Einstein, but he said even Albert Einstein, right, when he said that the world is in greater peril from those who do nothing than from those who actively commit evil. Or said, did not President Kennedy warn that those who do nothing are inviting shame as well as violence? Mm -hmm. And then King said this, he says, of all the things, he says, but will the world ever forget the searing impact of Rabbi Yachim Prince's admonition as he spoke at the March on Washington in 1963? said, when I was a rabbi of the Jewish community in Berlin under the Hitler regime, I learned many things. But the most important thing that I learned in my life and under tragic circumstances is that bigotry and hatred are not the most urgent problems. The most urgent, the most shameful, and the most tragic problem is silence. The great people who had created a great civilization had become a nation of silent onlookers. They remain silent in the face of hate, in the face of brutality, and in the face of mass murder, Ukraine, Russia. He said, America must not remain silent. We must speak up and act from the president down to the humblest of us, and not for the sake of the Negro, but for the sake of the image, the idea, and the aspirations of America itself. So speak up. and hope to see you in New York. Wow. On sixth. Damn, that was amazing, Daryl. There you go, everybody. Don't stay silent. Speak up. Let's uh, everybody get on the same page. Daryl, thank you for those beautiful words. I needed to hear that personally. Um, I know, you know, uh, it resonates. it, It resonates with us. So we appreciate you once again for doing this, coming on, hanging out with all us and the Strange Road Hitchhikers. Uh, but we're we're going to be right back, Daryl. We're going to come back and say goodbye. We're going to outro the show, and we'll come back and chat a little bit and send you away. All right. Daryl Nichols, yeah. everybody. Daryl. Oh, man. Jeez. <laughs> wow. We've been on a run of just unbelievable guests. Like these last couple, this whole run of recordings that we've done, we've put our nose to the grindstone. We've been, I think, selective and and trying to get the best guests. 
And there's just these instances, well, hey, Tom and Terry are inviting us to the spring equinox. Sure, let's go out and shoot some stuff and hang out. Well, And, and then I, all of a sudden you meet Daryl, you meet Big Bay. I you didn't meet, even get to meet all those guys again because I feel like you I were was hurting. in so much pain. Yeah, you I was like, that. man, if I can make You're it back. in to do uh, Cushman's, if he yeah, goes Arthur. up and does it, if we can do that, that'd yeah. be great. But like, I could barely move. Yeah, I know. And so it was like, once you came That's back, rough. you're like, man, I, t- I was like, that's great. I'm glad that happened. I know at some point down the road it's going to eventually come together. Yeah. And then with, you know, the kind of uh, the the orbiting of the show with trying to get Daryl lined up to it, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out schedules. So it was being a little difficult to where it was like, man, we missed him. We missed that. You know, it was like. He did not disappoint. Dude, yeah. I'm so happy. I'm so glad that that worked out and then that came back around. But like, I'm buzzing, just also dude. being patient, like, on legit it. buzzing. Yeah. Like I the amount of energy alive. from the contact of that conversation was just like, mm-hmm. if he might have been in room, one of us might have spontaneously combusted. I pray he probably would have been you. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you're excited. I don't know, man. I'm wearing a sweater <laughs> and I'm still not overly hot, but I'm like full on yeah. vibrating with enthusiasm and energy. <laughs> like that's, that's why I love conversations like that is because again, he can go so deep into so many different avenues of things where I just have very little experience, but well, I know enough to ask enough questions to be dangerous in the conversation, which I love. You have perspective. Pull on those threads, yes. As a former army captain, as a former minister, as a former uh, you know, NAACP and all the work he's done with well, diversity, and it's just— He's kind of doing what I always said in my take when people like, I want to be an attorney or I want to be the best you know, singer in the world or whatever. I just always thought, man, I want to be a good human. I want to be the most— like professional of a person I can be of like a good all around person. Mm -hmm. How do I figure out how to do that? I don't care about whether I'm the best at this or that, or, you know, because, because I don't think that's really a game I want to play, nor do I think it's a game that's worth playing because we talked about, it's a fleeting thing, but like this came in contact with a lot of different people. That's a game that you you could, you make on your own though. Oh yeah. What he's doing is nobody else can make you into a Daryl Nichols. Yeah. Nobody can make you into a Tom and Terry. Like, those unique people, they have created themselves through their strange pathways, through the their path. life. Like, yeah. it's mm-hmm. not a course of, hey, you want to be an attorney? Go do this. You want to be Daryl Nichols? Go do this. You can't do it. You're forged Bill in Holman fire. in the Crystal Skull. You can't do it. You have to live it. There's no other Bill. No. <laughs> That's what I love about it. The authenticity yeah. of, of that pathway. Yeah. And figuring it out as you go, you know, here's the river of life. You're going to, you know, encounter some eddies and tide pools that catch you up for a couple years. Yeah. And then you're going to get back in. You're going to hit some rapids. Shit's going to get real for a while. And you're going to be suck you down. thrown around. And don't you just, let it suck you down. Keep moving forward. My old roommate used to always say this, and Daryl kind of said it too, is don't fight the flow. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel this flow of life. Mm-hmm. Don't fight it. Yep. Beautiful. Love it, bub. Well, let's put this baby to bed. Unbelievable episode. Um, you guys so. can find us at the Strange Road, Instagram, TikTok, uh, and Twitter, uh, Strange Road Hitchhikers Group. we got some big things coming. Uh, TheStrangeRoad.com. You can yep. find our podcast there. Eventually, that's where the merch portal is going to land. Um, like, subscribe, share. My mind's blown. Master Control, Stoner the Stoner. Loner. Thank you One so last much. Shout out to him. Thank Let's you show so that. much. There he is. There Big, he is. Beautiful wide wave to everybody, Kyle. <laughs> there it is. It's a parade wave, everyone. Big guy. Holding we appreciate it down. you. All right, guys. We are out of here. Peace and love to all. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. That was so much fun. <laughs>